Today, I've got Aaron Gennetti. He's a gym owner, entrepreneur, coach, instructor, a man of many hats. Recently, I had an interview with Ruben Alvarez where the topic of combatives, specifically the crossover from Brazilian jiu-jitsu into the law enforcement world came up. It sparked some some comments and some dialogue over the interwebs. And so if you listen to that or you had questions uh, about maybe what's the next best thing, I think you're going to like this interview. One of the interesting parts about Aaron is he's a civilian that's crossed over to instructing law enforcement officers as well as civilians. But in this case, he's recently been pretty successful with a company called Knife Control Concepts. So we're going to dig into all kinds of stuff. We're going to talk a lot about martial arts. We're going to answer a couple of questions that I had for him specifically as it relates to things like Krav Maga, which he happens to be a uh, subject matter expert in. Aaron does a good job of keeping things focused and uncomplicated. You know what else shouldn't be complicated? Your health and fitness program. It never ceases to amaze me how I see people overcomplicate some of the basics. I mean, sure, the meathead thing works until it doesn't. It did for me until my gains and my health started to deteriorate. Maybe you're looking to just get back to basics and uncomplicate your own fitness program. I'm sure you haven't forgotten, but these episodes are sponsored by Red Dot Fitness training products and programs. So if you're looking for a program that takes you back to basics in a smart and organized way, go to rdftrainonline.com. When you get there, you might check out our self-guided programs like RDF Strong. RDF Strong is our most uncomplicated, most popular strength and muscle building program. When you get there, you can find out more about the program and use code STRONG20 for a 20% off at purchase. Again, that's rdftrainonline.com. Use code STRONG20 when purchasing the RDF Strong program. Welcome to Iron Sights After Dark. During my 25 plus years in the fitness industry, I've always been passionate about expanding my physical, mental, and hard skills to be prepared for whatever life might throw at me. From fitness to firearms and beyond, taking a holistic approach to being prepared has led me on a journey to seek and share both knowledge and skills from expert resources in the civilian, LEO, military, and first responder communities. The mission of this podcast is to help others expand their capabilities and knowledge of preparedness while building strength in the community that shares similar goals and values. So ultimately, we contribute together and grow together. All right, today, not in the studio, we're doing this thing remote. I've got Aaron Gennetti of Endeavor CrossFit and Knife Control Concepts. Aaron, my dude, welcome to the Iron Sides Podcast. Ah, thanks for having me, man. It's good to be here. I'm stoked to have you. There's, you know, we were just talking off air for uh, just a second there. And sort of what I had said was, look, man, I love going down these these conversations uh, to learn about people's, you know, journey and what they've done and why they're doing it and how and getting into some of the nooks and crannies. And part of connecting with you today is there's different approaches that I've taken to to podcasting. And, you know, as I'm a little bit over the hundred mark, I think we're near like 125 episodes or something like that. Dude, awesome. Yeah, I've but it is awesome. I I can't believe it's been that many, but I'm I'm learning that sometimes like coming in very, very researched is good depending on, you know, maybe goals of, of both parties. And sometimes I like coming in just kind of 
you know, I only know a little bit and let's see where this goes. And that's one of those times. I don't know a ton about you. Um, so, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Hopefully, but, hopefully I, uh, I play out relatively well. <laughs> I think you will, man. I think, uh, you know, I have prided myself on over the years of being a pretty good judge of character and, uh, and you know, what kind of what you see is what you get. And I've been watching yeah. you for a while on the social media stuff and, and I've heard about you, uh, other people have recommended you. So that's awesome. always good. So let's That's take this thing where, where it's going to go. And I'm going to let you go. So here you go, dude. It's your, it's your time to shine. Tell me about you, um, <laughs> what, uh, what I should know about you just from the start. Sweet. Uh, well, one of these days, I'll actually get in the studio because we were talking about this before we hit record. But uh, I'm all about face-to-face in person, man. It makes, a, it makes for a great time. But I'm glad we could squeeze Same. in. I wish I would have caught you out and shot. Uh, but uh, anyway, next time. But next time. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, man, I always like these, it always fascinates me with the like, all right, tell us about yourself. Cause it's like, oh man, like, all right, like, Hey, where do I start? And be like, kind of hate talking about myself. One of those deals, but, uh, I, uh, I run a training center in Columbus, Ohio. Um, so that's where I'm based out of, uh, Endeavor Defense and Fitness. We have half of the gym is a fully functioning CrossFit gym. The other half of the gym, we do uh, all, all different types of self-defense and fight training, things like that. So we have uh, like our hybrid Krav Maga system, which is our take on Krav Maga. Okay. Um, we have a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu program, heavy bag classes, kickboxing. Um, we do steel mace, a lot of other stuff. We do firearms training as well. So um, that's like the brick and mortar. Um, I love coaching. I just genuinely like that's, I always tell everybody like that's, I found it by chance. Um, and it, and thank God I did. Cause I was in architecture school when I found it and I was definitely not meant to sit in front of a desk and draw stuff. <laughs> but, uh, so that's the main, uh, like the main brick and mortar here in Columbus. And then, um, right now I'm traveling across the country with Eli Knight and Mike Cheney. Uh, a lot of people know who Eli Knight is, um, really well-known YouTuber, uh, not just a YouTuber. It's just where a lot of people know him from. Um, but he's uh, a third degree black belt now. I think he just got his third um, degree black belt. Uh, fantastic guy. And then Mike Cheney, who's my coach, he's another black belt in jiu-jitsu. We travel across the country with knife control concepts, um, teaching uh, our version of like how to understand the entanglement. And it, we're hyper-focused on open hand versus a knife. So I, I don't, whether I have a weapon on me or not, I have yet to access it. Um, and so inside of that entanglement, when somebody's dealing with it, generally speaking, that's the, the craziest, most difficult part is when I can't get away. I can't just make space. That's, you know, internet comments. Oh, just run, just shoot them, all that type stuff. It's like, well, Mm -hmm. but in that moment where I can't do that, I have to survive the entanglement to get to a position where maybe I can draw my firearm or make space to run away or strike, whatever that is. So that's what we do. We're hyper-focused on that what hopefully ends up being maybe three to five seconds of fighting if I'm really good at it to get to where I need to get to, to get out of it. So, um, it's a very heavily grappling based or more wrestling based. It's not even grappling. I say grappling. People think like jujitsu and and going underneath, which I do jujitsu, obviously Mike and Eli do. Um, but it's more wrestling based Mm -hmm. approach to controlling the entanglement specifically for dealing with, um, you know, an edged weapon. So we travel across the country, uh, teaching seminars on that. We do like two day trainings everywhere we go. And then we have an online training program people can access as well. Um, and then that plugs and plays into some other things. So those are the main, uh, I think, I guess, things that I've been up to. Um, I wrote a book, you travel across the country for a long time, teaching active shooter, um, 
for primarily for civilians. I am a civilian, so I feel like that's my space. Um, you know, I work with law enforcement departments and military. Um, however, I, I work with them from the physical tactics standpoint. I've I've never been a law enforcement officer. I've never done military. So when I work with with those departments, those groups, I come out of the gate and go, "Look, I know how to fight really well. I'm gonna teach you how to do it, and then you can fix it to your context." Um, but I taught uh, ASR was the program we ran for a long time. Active shooter response. Um, traveled around, taught like 80 plus of those through 2016, which is as we all remember when when things were really in the eyes uh, of the public, people were actually seeking out a lot more training. Uh, wrote a book on that topic in 2017, um, how to how to survive an active killer. Um, so that copies out there floating some other places. Um, got a couple online instructionals and things like that. Um, but primarily, you know, I consider myself a coach and a student. Um, and that's, I'm always trying to learn new things and I love sharing things. I love getting out and having the opportunity to actually introduce other people to, to different dynamics of what it takes to survive. Um, you know, I mean, hell realistically life, you know what I mean? Like we do the fitness, I mean, the fitness element, I've seen, you know, a lot of the stuff that you put out and it's really awesome because, you know, you have elements talking about nutrition, you have elements talking about overall fitness and, you know, shooting and everything from it. And that's the reality of it. Like, you know, you gotta, if you want to really survive, it's, it's more than just the scope of like, go do jujitsu and learn how to fight or go learn how to shoot a firearm. It's like, there's a lot going on there. Um, so that space, you know, for me is, has been, it's been super positively impactful in my life. Um, and I enjoy coaching. I enjoy sharing that with other people. So like long story short, that's the, I love coaching. And these are all the things that I do right now, as far as coaching goes. (laughs) Uh, that was a great job with the bio, and there were so many things in there that I obviously did not know about that I want to touch on uh, with you. But first, just kind of how you finished that, and that is you love coaching, and that's, mm-hmm. that's apparent. And that was one of the first things that that I kind of picked up. I mean, you see people out, when I see say picked up, I see it from afar, see it digitally, and kind of hear. Um, and there's a couple of ways I think people do that. First off, it's, you know, how flashy is the... This is not necessarily you, but how flashy is the video? How uh, edgy is the concept? How cool is the move? You know, whatever else. And they're trying to create excitement around something else. And yeah. that you, you can only manufacture that, I think, for so long. And when you bring it back to, you know, who's doing it and the why they're doing it, which I want to talk to you, you know, in depth about today, you can, you can feel that, man. It's palpable uh, that you love what you do. And um, not only do you love what you do, um, you've put, you've gone all in with it and all in on yourself, surrounded yourself with people, as you've mentioned, you dropped a couple of names there and some of the things you've done with people to help you be better at that and also put you in a position to continue to do what you love doing, which is the coaching. Um, And you put that sort of first, that's, it just keeps coming up in this, in your, in your bio there. And all the things that you have coached and all the things you've done. So I want to acknowledge that, Leonel, I've said this on the show before. From one coach to another, that is very refreshing. Um, yeah. I love that. Um, the a couple, a couple things, just digging back. One, cool. dude, you're busy. You've been a busy dude over the last <laughs> few years. I mean, that is a lot of stuff. Um, but yeah, one of the things yeah. that one of the things that intrigues me about this is your connection to law enforcement, right? as a civilian, because that is a tough barrier to break through. Uh, and I imagine there's quite a story behind that. So let's dig out the pieces in the story first. Let's talk about the BJJ uh, and sure. where that got started for you, how you got into martial arts or specifically jujitsu 
And uh, talk talk a little bit about that journey because I love hearing how people are introduced to it and mm-hmm. where it fits into their life. Yeah, man, totally. Um, so uh, I, I actually found, well, as an, as an adult, I say adult in quotes, theoretically by age, I was an adult, but maturity oh, level probably not, not so much. Like, yeah, I'm still not an adult. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> but by age, legally, I was an adult. Uh, my martial arts training as an adult, uh, I actually found Krav Maga first. Um, and, I've, and I've told this story before a little more in depth. Um, you know, in the past, when I found Krav, uh, I had just a, a a myriad of very bad things happen to me in a very short period of time. And I was an angry, like 20, 21 year old kid, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was either going to get in trouble and, and I, mean, I was on Ohio state campus. It's a big enough party school to, to you know, get enough in enough trouble and sure. spend your time drinking and starting fights. Yeah. Um, or I was going to find something, you know, somewhere to put whatever that energy was. And I honestly, I happened to, uh, you remember the show fight quest? Like forever ago. Yeah. Yeah. So I happened, literally happened to see the Krav Maga episode of fight quest and talk about good marketing, Ohio Krav Maga and fitness, which was a gym in Gahanna, which is on the East side of Columbus, uh, paid for advertisements during fight quest during the, so it was like, Mm. perfect. It was like, Oh, this is badass. And then all of a sudden it was like, Oh wow, there's a place 20 minutes from where I'm at. So I, uh, I went and found that first actually. And thank God I did because that, that was the best decision I've ever made completely changed my life. Um, I joined that gym and I never left. Um, so I started in Krav Maga and, and how I ended up in jujitsu was that Mark Slane, the gentleman that was running Ohio Krav Maga fitness, uh, was smart enough to know, even though he was a black belt in Krav Maga, that there was stuff outside of Krav Maga. So he actually brought in a BJJ program. He brought in a kickboxing program to, you know, supplement what we were doing. So I was first introduced to BJJ by my Krav Maga instructor. Um, he got me into jujitsu. And then when he started to realize like, Hey, you know, the, as a group, as a unit, we're only getting so far with jujitsu. Well, Arthur Ruff at the time had just moved to Columbus, Ohio. And at the time, I think he was a second degree black belt. This was like back in 2008, I think. And, uh, so he paid for a couple of us to go over and start training with Arthur at Arthur's place to get that much better at BJJ and start to get into it that way. So that was okay. how I was actually introduced to jujitsu was by my, you know, the guy that introduced me to Krav Maga. Um, okay. And then from there, I was with Arthur for, got my blue belt with Arthur. Uh, and then I opened up a gym for the gentleman that opened up his other one. We opened up a second Krav Maga uh, location. And uh, I, I was the, uh, the BJJ meme which was like, I got my blue belt and then just kind of faded off into the abyss for like three years. <laughs> and then, uh, I love it. right. And, uh, I, I kept in it, however, uh, not as consistently. And I didn't have a, a really consistent coach for quite a while. Um, so I was doing a little bit of wrestling. I was doing a little bit of grappling, but not a ton of it. And then in 2013, I stepped away from that facility, um, to open up my own endeavor, which is where we're at now. And, uh, luckily along the way of developing a BJJ program here, uh, we were blessed with two really awesome instructors, a gentleman by the name of Justin Kennedy, and then Mike Cheney, who's, you know, one of my very good friends and currently my coach. Um, they actually, they the gym that they were at just had a terrible like implosion with one of the head instructors just doing some very inappropriate things. So they were looking for a space to train. Um, they came here. And so I started training under them and I've since gotten my, uh, I'm a two stripe brown belt currently 
and jujitsu specifically. So, you know, again, it's, it's my Krav Maga instructor is the guy that actually introduced me to the art of jujitsu. And then I then took my legs to, to follow it and stick with it. That's an interesting journey. Like it's usually one or the other when we're talking Mm -hmm. Krav Maga and BJJ that there's usually not a combo there. Uh, you know, people, your BJJ, Muay Thai, grappling, uh, maybe some weapon stuff you'll see people out in there, but the Krav Maga, the Krav Maga BJJ thing is really not a thing. Uh, mm-hmm. so that's interesting to me. Can you maybe just real quick for the people that have, aren't really familiar? Uh, so when sure. you go back, when you, you mentioned the term memes, you know, there's a lot of BJJ <laughs> yeah. memes and there's a lot of Krav Maga memes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're coming at this from a little bit of a different perspective. Can you kind of explain? Uh, yes, to people, the meme. Krav Maga. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, well, the, the, the BJJ meme is like the, the joke is that anytime anybody gets a blue belt in BJJ, cause it's relatively difficult to get a blue belt in BJJ. Mm-hmm. Like it takes time. It takes getting smashed and feeling terrible. Uh, and then by the time you get a blue, like you get your blue belt, you start realizing like, I'm still nowhere near good at this. <laughs> the, journey, the journey really hasn't even begun yet. You it just, really hasn't you even just started. Conditioned. Yeah. Yeah. So the, you know, the joke is always that everybody gets their blue belt and then just disappears. It's like, Hey, I got my blue belt and then I'm out. And it's kind of like where a lot of people end their journey at blue belt, which is unfortunate. And it's true. Uh, so that's the meme as far as that goes. However, um, Krav Maga, so I had a really interesting conversation with the group at Elbows Tight, uh, and they run a, a podcast specifically for jiu-jitsu. Most people, when they think about Krav Maga and BJJ or the judgment that'll take place oftentimes with Krav Maga and BJJ, and we'll talk kind of what the two programs are, they, they don't actually know what the other one does. So they, they're really making a judgment call based off of things they've seen on, on social media and the problem now is like I can find terrible examples of jujitsu on social media and amazing examples of jujitsu on social media. And I can find terrible examples of Krav Maga and amazing examples of Krav Maga. And I mean, we can do that with anything. We can do that with firearms. We can do it with fitness. So it's very can easy to. Out? Can yeah. I time you out for just a second? It's it's hard when we're in this like um this digital space that if we were in the same room together, there wouldn't be these interruptions. So apologies to yeah. you in the audience with the delays here. But Aaron, that is exactly why I'm asking the question because <laughs> it's it's so much like this. It's like this in fitness. It's like this. So when you're talking like exercises, you know, whatever, it's like this in nutrition. It's like this in firearms training. It's And yeah. now we're going to the BJJ Krav Maga thing. So that's why I asked this because I think people can relate to this, that you can get on anywhere and you can see a highlight reel and you yeah. can see somebody's opinion and you can see somebody doing the move perfect or this or that or or shit talking somebody else um, oh, yeah. all over the place. But a lot of the times when people are getting their perception or making up their mind or their decision about what something is or isn't, number one, it's based on their own experience. So if you don't, yep. and uh, number two, it's based on knowledge. So, right. or you could put, you could swap those things however you want, but that's my, sorry, that is why I'm asking the question because yeah. most people looking at it have no fucking idea what they're looking at. Yeah, now, they're, now. they're hot to try to get on that keyboard and start going off in the comments <laughs> section or post a, you know, Instagram live or whatever that, whatever else. So anyway, yeah, that's why sure. I wanted you to answer. Thank you, man. Yeah, for sure. And that's, that's the thing is it's like, look, there's great examples of everything. You know what I mean? Um, so if you look at like, what, what is Krav Maga? What is jujitsu as far as the breakdowns and things go? Um, Krav Maga is what Krav Maga is supposed to be. And so let's, let's try to do that. If you look at like encompass what it's supposed to be and then understand that 
every gym is going to do it differently, whether that's mm-hmm. right or wrong. So kind of, right. you know, it is what it is. So what Krav is supposed to be is Krav is supposed to be an approach that takes, you know, the, the best elements from all these other places, gets rid of anything that has nothing to do with practical self-defense and then packages it into to one tiny little system. Um, you know, so the idea behind it is if you have little training, if you're not an athlete, if you're not pursuing a sport and your main purpose is self-defense, and that is, I just, I want to take care of my kids. I want to take care of my family in some form or fashion. Then my training should be revolved explicitly around that. So that's yep. what Krav Maga what's is the, supposed what, to be. What's the use case? What's the use case? Yeah. Like what's your context, right? So in theory, that's what it's supposed to be, which means there should be elements of striking. That's where they steal from boxing and kickboxing. There should be elements of grappling. So they're stealing from judo, or judo, judo and wrestling and jujitsu. Uh, you know, there should be elements of both weapons defense and understanding offensive use of weapons. So we're stealing from arts like Kali uh, and then from various firearms instructors. So that's what it's supposed to be. And where Krav Maga usually gets a bad name, and, and it's justified too, is when it came to the States, it came to the States very heavily driven in starting an adult, an adult martial art. And you got to remember like in the 90s when this was coming out, or at least trying to come big, there weren't like adult, or adult martial arts programs. It was like Taekwondo, it was still the hot spot. And yeah, and karate yeah. and things like that. But creating an industry of adult martial arts for like everybody, as opposed to just the batshit crazy people that want to do MMA, and that's myself in that camp, by the way. Uh, besides them, like there wasn't an industry for that. So they had to create that industry. So there was a lot of marketing around it. And so you heard a lot of terms about like, this is intuitive. It's super fast to learn. Uh, you know, you're also going to get a good workout. And then you had these celebrities jumping on and talking about how positive of, you know, oh, this is a great workout and all that type of stuff. So they started getting this, they latched onto that because it's good marketing. Marketing is marketing, right? As, as far as it comes down to it. So people latched onto that and it started coming into like, oh, it's watered down. It's bull crap. It's all that. And, and don't get me wrong. Some of the programs are, however, the majority of people that are showing up not that, not necessarily, but the majority of people that are showing up for a fun way to learn fitness are going to get more out of a Krav Maga class and they'll actually show up to a Krav Maga class and learn a little bit about self-defense than they would if you tried to market them with jujitsu or wrestling or kickboxing, like Thai boxing, right? So a lot of people forget that the demographic essentially for Krav Maga is people that just want to learn how to defend themselves right? Mm -hmm. Now, in a good world, they should be talking about, you know, like what Craig would refer to as managing unknown contacts, you know, how do I do my verbalization? How am I preparing myself and understanding, you know, the elements of my field of vision and awareness? And you should also be talking about striking and you should also be talking about good grappling and things like that. When I went through Krav Maga, like there was, I mean, man, maybe 5% of the program was grounded. And so there was a huge gap in it. Now, some of the systems, or I should say some of the affiliations or associations have definitely caught up. They've definitely implemented wrestling and uh, Krav Maga or uh, Jiu-Jitsu. However, there was a huge gap in it. So Jiu-Jitsu coming in and saying like, well, if shit hits the fan and you go down to the floor, you guys are screwed. They weren't wrong. It's just, again, for most people, if I can't fight standing up, 
well, let's not talk about the floor just yet. Like I need to keep these people on their feet to start with. So Krav Maga is supposed to be, if it's, if it's developed and taught very well, it's supposed to be self-defense. It's supposed to be all the elements of actual self-defense, not, well, not if I, exactly, there's no sport element to it. It's supposed to be, I want to get home safe, end of story. So it's allowed to be ugly. It's allowed to be violent and aggressive. We have to talk about legal and all that type of stuff if it's done properly. It looks unorthodox though, when you look at a typical, you know, martial art, right? Where there's, there's structure. Uh, it looks, it looks unstructured is what it looks like. If you're looking at it from, from afar and from a marketing perspective, you're probably trying to show the flashy shit because the, the, the very fundamental stuff isn't going to be exciting for anybody to look at or watch. And they're not going to understand that. But when you see people mm-hmm. flying around and what looks like practically flailing and, and going all out, that looks like a street fight. Right. Yeah. And so people can relate to, well, I've seen that happen before, whether it was on the schoolyard as a kid or at the bar with my friends or, you know, whatever at the park or wherever else, like, you know, whatever situation they may have seen, I think they can relate to that versus I put a gi on, I get down on the floor. There's a bunch of people with belts rolling around. Mm-hmm. It's sweaty. It looks slow. And the next thing you know, I'm getting choked out or my, you know, I'm in an arm bar. I get it. Now, what like what Jiu-Jitsu has had the the opportunity to do over time is the marketing has gotten massive. I mean, now yeah, people yeah. understand we've seen it through you just mentioned it through MMA and and how uh, you know proficient people are and how effective it can be. So I, there's I think there's a little bit more of an acceptance acceptance to it, and they're also looking at it as a form of fitness. You know, how yes. do I and and also mental, um, you know, kind of a, a mental release or you know, church for that, for, for mm-hmm. lack of a better term, you know, to, to get out and do that. And it's very family friendly. Like I can take my five-year-old to, to jujitsu and they're going to have fun with the kids and, but they're also going to learn some more practical skills, skills. And I'm just going to say it more than what they learned maybe in a Taekwondo class from a self-defense oh, yeah, perspective or meeting up with the schoolyard bully, going back to that example. And mm-hmm. I can be in one room, they can be in another mom's cool with this. Like, if this just makes sense versus going into a Krav Maga spot and you're, or looking at it and going, uh, that looks pretty wild. So well, that's, be, that's now kind of, you will be surprised, uh, or you might, you might be surprised. I don't know, but really there are some programs that run really good kids Krav Maga programs and well, they sure. run the elements of those in. But the one thing that, again, you've got to remember, it comes down oftentimes to like, what do I need to do to get people through the door yep. versus like you said, like, what are the the practical elements of it and things like that? So for instance, like, I'll give you an idea here. Like, again, we run our version of what we refer to as, you know, hybrid Krav Maga here. However, for the kids, we start kids in grappling for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, most of the cases they're going to run into in a bully situation are going to be more socially like managed in a socially acceptable manner with good grappling. Right. Gotcha. Now. Right. So bully gets into that position. I can manage space. You know, I can grapple my way in, maybe pin him to the ground. I can look at the teacher while I'm sprawling this kid out and look like I tried to talk to him. I tried to talk to you. None of you did this. At least I'm not bashing his face in. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, there was no, like, generally speaking, I mean, it's crazy times and I don't want to minimize things out there, but these are not, these are fist fights, right? These are pushing matches, whatever. These are not people bringing weapons into it. And we're not trying to steal purses, wallets, belongings, cars, anything like that. Uh, you know, it's just a, this is what humans yeah. do. They have confrontations. Yeah, and, right? yeah. and I will, I will also 
put out that no matter what it is, whether they're doing Krav Maga or jujitsu or wrestling or boxing, whatever it is, like whatever you start your kid in, there's an element of confidence and stature and overall the way you carry yourself. If you have a good coach that's also teaching you how to manage the emotional and communication side of it, we're, we're going to have a lot less of these situations just in general because we're not going to, these kids are not going to be walking themselves into it either by backing down in a way that, again, makes them look like a victim to prey, which is what it is, right? If I'm the big bully, I'm not looking for a good fight. I'm looking for the person that's not going to be a good fight because obviously I have some weird insecurity that I need to flex on other people for. Why would I flex on somebody that can actually, you know, whoop my ass? So in a bully situation, like I don't want my kid to just be, you know, cowering because that's a sign that's going to draw that on. I also don't want my kid getting so overtly angry and flexed and emotionally triggered by words from somebody else that they're instigating a fight. So I want to have a kid that has enough confidence and understands enough about communication that they can actually simply let words bounce off them, ignore the situation, have the confidence in their physical skills that if something were to happen, they can actually manage that fight and deal with it and keep themselves safe and hopefully Mm -hmm. do it inside of the whatever crazy justification that is going on in whatever school they're in. But the reality of it is like, it's more than just the, the, you know, what art am I setting my kid up for? It's like, Mm -hmm. who is teaching them the art? Cause I can send you to some BJJ gyms where, you know, their mentality is, you know, kill, 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 highly competitive, 500 miles an hour. And Mm -hmm. that kid's going to end up with a complex by the time he's 22 because he's going to be so obsessed with his overall output in life and his performance and competition that when he finds out he's not the next Gordon Ryan, he's going to hate himself by the time he's in his (laughs) mid-20s. And it's like, that's not good either, man. Like BJJ is supposed to be something that is enhancing this kid's life. So now we start kids in grappling because like I said, it builds a lot of confidence. Uh, It's going to lower some of the overall just liability and risk in general of them learning and being able to strike together and all that type of stuff. And it's a good baseline. However, I will still make the argument to this day that from from self-defense specifically, like if you really want to bury this down and you want to say, okay, I'm never going to a Krav Maga class ever. I just want to learn grappling, you know, so I'm going to go learn BJJ for self-defense. I will take a wrestler with six months over a BJJ student with six months, five to one, like all day. Because what is wrestling? Wrestling is constant pressure. It's being on top and it's smashing people into the floor. And if you look from a self-defense perspective, that is what you should be so hyperly focused on. So realistically, like you could take a Krav Maga guy with six months, a BJJ guy with six months and a wrestler with six months of training with the same equal amount of training put them in any rule set that allows the Krav Maga person not to like elbow their freaking head into the ground and stab them with a knife. And let's be real. The wrestlers probably whooping the snot out of both of them top to bottom. So for a kid, I want to start the personally want to start the kid in a grappling based system. That's a little more wrestling heavy. If you're looking at self-defense. Now, if you look at the art of BJJ, do the art of BJJ. I am, I do BJJ. I love BJJ. I'm a, like I said, I'm a two stripe brown belt. Um, you know, I, I am closer to black belt than I feel comfortable with, uh, in any way, shape or form yet. You know, like I, I well, I, you know, I want one, I want to, but I, when I get there, I want to feel like I got there, you know what I mean? Like one of those. So it's, it's a really weird place to be at the moment. 
So like, I love the art. I love the playfulness in it. I love the exploration that goes into BJJ. Um, however, if we're being honest, I, I have never been in a jujitsu gym and I've been in a lot of jujitsu gyms. I have never been in a jujitsu gym that actually focuses on what we can define as actual self-defense. Elements of jujitsu, a lot of very good elements of jujitsu can be utilized in a self-defense situation, but I have yet to walk into a gym. They might say, hey guys, we're working on self-defense today and it'll be like standing rear naked choke defense and it ends up just being a hip toss, you know, which again, we can have fun talking about that. Mm -hmm. But the reality of it is like, you can't just say this is self-defense. What is the context of self-defense? Well, there's verbalization, there's confidence issues, there's learning to run away. Uh, there's knowing how to deal with a weapon. If there is a weapon, there's knowing if you carry a weapon, how to train with that weapon. There's understanding how to strike. There's understanding like the psychology, like what happens after a self-defense situation? Like you talk about like, Oh, you know, here's this women's self-defense program and you know, we're going to help you gain confidence around this thing. And it's like, well, what is the biggest thing that females fear? Like, why are they pursuing this? And it's like, okay, a situation where I'm pinned down and raped, you know, I'm sexually abused against my will. Do you understand the psychological elements of that? And you can't just say, well, they're getting in and they're tussling it up with other guys and that stuff will come naturally. It's like, no, there is a psychological element to self-defense where we need to not only be setting them up with the practical skills to be able to deal with these situations, but hopefully the practical skills to avoid the situation to start with. And then if they're forced into the situation and they do fight themselves out of it to then deal with whatever the psychological aftermath of it is as well. And I have yet to be in any jujitsu gym that has sat down and said like, Hey guys, here's like, here's the way it is after a violent encounter. This is the psychology that comes with it. This is how we prepare ourselves. Let's talk about breath work. Let's talk about like, you know, the way and, you know, who you can contact and how does journaling impact these type things and how do we get into that stuff? You know, it's, it's martial arts to me are phenomenal and they're fantastic. I've trained Kali, I've trained Thai boxing, I've trained boxing, I do firearms. Um, I do a ton of jujitsu. I love the art of judo. I really want to find somebody locally that does like really pure Sambo. I want to learn a little more about like how that's actually taught and trained. Um, hell man, I want to start going back and taking karate and taekwondo again. I used to be able to head kick people, like snap them off there. Can't do that stuff anymore. I traded that out for like a 380 pound squat, but, uh, but <laughs> yeah, that's counter, it's that's like, counterproductive, dude. It's a little counterproductive. Yeah. It's like they, they kind of do this one way or the other, but I, I think the biggest thing that frustrates me when people have these, when most people try to like flex on you know, what's the best martial art for self-defense is they forget that martial arts are martial arts. They're not self-defense. Mm -hmm. Even Krav Maga. And, and again, I'm a, I've, I, you know, I technically have two black belts in Krav Maga from two different organizations. I still believe in the system of Krav Maga for people that want to learn thoroughbred self-defense. However, Krav Maga, the way it is presented is still a list of techniques and it, it has to be, it's the only way to scale it out. Right. So it's right. still a list of techniques. BJJ is still just a list of techniques. Uh, you know, any other art you can plug in there. Those are martial arts. Self-defense to me is the context. It's all of the things that come into surviving a violent encounter. And to me, where Krav Maga gets closer to that is they at least talk about the verbalization. They're at least setting people up 
to be using their words and keeping back space and using kicks and understanding how to block punches and, you know, only showing techniques that for the most part, somebody can pick up relatively quickly, do relatively ugly and aggressively and violently and, and match it a little more to what maybe a real self-defense uh, situation looks like. And we can get people moving aggressively faster. Like if I only, if I start training with you and I'm only going to train one hour a week mm -hmm. and I don't know this and you don't know this, but five weeks from now, I'm going to get attacked. You know, I'm going to get, somebody's going to jump me at one o'clock in the morning while I'm walking to my car after a late shift at work. I've had five hours of training. You're going to tell me right now that if I happen to show up at the gym when they started a leg lock series or a deep half series or even a fundamental mount series and the fight never went to the ground and I never got into mount because I was choked up against my car and they started beating the shit out of me with their fists and then drew a knife, I, I probably have a better shot if I was put through some high intensity, ugly, aggressive stress drills. I learned how to hit really hard. I learned how to scream. I learned how to turn around and sprint. I learned how to flail, like, but like intentionally and aggressively, you're going to probably get more out of that in five hours than you are five hours of, again, whatever the jiu-jitsu focus was in some form or fashion. Now in the yeah. long run, am I going to take, you know, like a six month you know, Krav Maga person and put them against a, you know, even a mid-level purple belt in a, in a fight out in the streets, quote unquote, like, no, yeah, sure. The mid-level purple belt's going to walk circles around that person. They're going to at least be able to manage space. They're going to be able to pull themselves through some spots, but how long does it take somebody to get to that level in jujitsu? If I'm a single parent and I work, you know, two jobs, like my mother was a single parent. She raised three kids. She worked three jobs. And when she did have time to take, like, you know, do something for herself, maybe it was one hour a week. Man, if that's the case that you're in, you're not going to get enough out of a Taekwondo or a, or a Jiu-Jitsu than you would if you went and, I mean, honestly, I tell people all the time, like, if you don't have access to a gym and you only have one hour a week, go buy a, you know, $100 heavy bag from a local, like, you know, refurbished freaking play it against sports or something like that and set a Tabata clock and run sprints on Tabata, beat the hell out of a heavy bag on, you know, Tabata and, and just get aggressive because that's going to be way more impactful than, you know, learning Kata or, or breaking through technique for guard breaks. It's just going to be way more impactful that way. But that's the, the, through the lens of self-defense. And I think people get taken aback by that. And they think I'm bashing jujitsu. Like, I spend more time currently training jujitsu than I train anything else because to me, it's my favorite thing in the world to do right now. It's like, it's chess with human bodies. It's fantastic. But, and you, but you can do it. So here's the, here's the yeah. thing. Uh, look, I love where you're going with this and that's why I wanted to go long on this particular conversation. And, and again, why I asked the question from the get-go because again, I, I love what you were saying there about the, you know, if I only have one hour a week and I'm looking for genuinely looking for a self-defense class, not a fitness slash martial arts slash I'm in this for the long haul. Maybe, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm looking for a new tribe to work out with or be around a few, few days a week for a few hours or whatever else. I get where you're coming, com coming from. And I think a lot of people probably can relate to this and I don't hear you bashing jujitsu. I, what I hear you doing is making a comparison and looking, asking people, 
at their very best to look at it through a different lens. Now you obviously have a very different lens than maybe I do, or maybe, you know, uh, you know, CC does, you know, my partner. So like, you know, she, she, if she's taking this into account, you know, she's looking at it as, as like, what's, what, what's relatable to me. So mm-hmm. you, you mentioned a couple of things there about the rear naked choke standing, you know, as a form of self-defense. I don't see like when we see, and this is just, again, this is a little bit of a different lens, but when I look at, if I look at videos, right, and I see these violent, very, very violent, and a lot of times just, I mean, you put, you can put the, 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 the word evil next to it, things happen. Uh, you know, these real life video, you know, thing, things that have been captured on videos and, mm-hmm. and all these different places. What generally happens? It happens very fast. The weapon comes out right away. There is no like guessing. There's no conversation. It's oftentimes very planned. Somebody's been lying in wait. So you're already way, the victim that is, is way behind the power curve right from the get-go. There is no feeling out. There is feeling uh, time to feel things out. Like how strong is this person? How weak is this person? How do they move? How do they not move? It gets ugly really, really fast. And I think the speed piece is, is something that I think people, when they watch it, they can just look at it and go, oh my God, if that guy got his hands on me, I'm not sure I could defend myself or I know I can't defend myself. And so I think that is very relatable. And I, I like what you're doing there in terms of the comparing and contrasting, because if it did go to the ground, you know, then, you know, there's definitely some techniques and some things where the jujitsu is going to ha- is, is going to work. Um, mm-hmm. Or maybe, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. It's going to help. It's going to maybe be a little bit more helpful, but the reality of it is that very rarely happens. If, if the victim goes to the ground, um, or even if the aggressor goes to the ground, it very it's it's it. There's a basically there's a lot of flopping around, and again, if a weapon's been brought to the situation, it's oftentimes after somebody's been stabbed or somebody's been shot, and it's just a matter of seconds before whoever that person is 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 now out of the game. They're just they're yeah. literally ble- bleeding to death in the um, in, in this in the course of whatever this process of this attack is. So I hear you, and I think a lot of people can probably relate to that. Uh, and you know, you mentioned like the, well, just run away. Well, that's not always an option or, you know, like, well, we'll we'll stand and we'll box. And at one point it goes to the ground Then I'm going to have jujitsu. So I'm going to have the advantage of you. Mm, I got to tell you, uh, if you're 150 pounds, you know, and you're up against a, you know, a 250 pounder, I honestly like, and that person's starting to drop bombs on you and you're trying to work moves or whatever else it, it, you get hit in the face by something that's a hundred, hundred more pounds than you. I don't care what jujitsu you know. I don't. You're, you're. That's going to stun. It's probably going to stop you in your tracks. It's not everybody. Everybody's. You know, things can happen. But I think there's this, this like, well, how do, how do I respond in a way that keeps me from getting to that point where I even have to use jujitsu? Yeah. Um, and if it's not a firearm or a, a force multiplier of some kind, what could it be? So I, I think you're making a good case. Um, I think you're making a good case for this. And I, and I don't hear you, you know, saying one's better than the other. I heard you say exactly the opposite. Like there's these different pieces and the reason you focus on jujitsu, and this is maybe one of the things I was going to say is I think there's a little bit more longevity in it. Like I can go to the, to the student, I can spar for an hour. I don't really know anything about, you know, sparring for Krav Maga, but when I look at it and the intensity of it, it, it's very short lived, right? Cause that's, what you're yep. practicing to do versus uh, jujitsu. I can get on the mat and I could literally roll for hours if I had that much time and somebody, somebody to do it with and the output and the intensity, right. Uh, and the longevity of that, you know, I can do that for a while. Again, contributes to my fitness, my mental health, all these other things where maybe this other martial art doesn't. 
Um, yeah. That's just my take, man, and what well, I'm kind of pulling away from It's the yeah. same with kickboxing. Like, even if you were, you know, you can only, um, you can only take, you know, you have to play this curve. If you're thinking long-term, you have to, you, well, you get to play this curve. You don't have to, you can choose to. But uh, of, okay, like, what am I trying to get out of this? How long am I trying to do it for? You know, where am I trying to take this as far as context goes? And when I was introduced to kickboxing very early on, it was very unregulated and it, it worked for me. I was, I was in my early twenties. I was a pissed off, angry kid. I needed to be hit. I needed to hit people. So like I learned okay through grit, but the way I learned kickboxing was not the way that any normal sane human being should learn kickboxing. I learned how to keep my hands like, don't block kicks with your, uh, with your hands. I learned that because they literally would wait until I dropped my hands to block a kick and would punch me in the head. And it was like, mm-hmm. after about the, the 39th time, yeah, you know, it's like, oh, maybe I should keep my hands up. It's um, the same with me, man. I was the big guy that walked into the gym. The first thing they did was put me in the ring. They're like, oh, that's just fresh meat. And they beat yeah. the shit out of me. I was 155 pounds, man. And I, they still, my first, my first uh, fight, well, it wasn't even just traditional kickboxing. It was just fighting. So it was a mixture of, you know, grounded fighting and stand-up kickboxing. But my very first class that I ever went into, we did a freaking bull ring. And it was me versus seven <laughs> other people. Me. Yeah, I got a fresh fighter every minute. And the, the one minute was stand up. The next minute, start on the ground, stand up, ground, stand up, ground. And everybody in that class had been there for at least six months, if not like two or three years. And I had never done it once. <laughs> yeah, it, my, know, my, like, my experience was with Muay Thai. It wasn't boxing. Uh, yeah. And, Brother, like it was. Oh my god! I mean, it was it was trial by fire. That's one way to learn, right? It's, that's one way. It's not a but, good. But uh, that's the quickest way to get somebody out of there, right? I mean, yeah. I did. I didn't. I wanted to go back because that's just the mindset that I had and who I was and had something yeah. to prove and whatever else. But yeah, you do that to the a normal sane person, and it's probably no going to be the end of it more. Well, and you can do that in BJJ too, and I think that's important. When as people are, you know, as we're having this conversation, like, yeah, look at your context and how long you're going to be in it and what you want to get out of it, but also understand like every gym has something a little bit different to offer, and you can do that in jujitsu too, man. You go into some places where you know maybe it's just one individual, maybe it's a couple individuals, or maybe it's the atmosphere. Um, but I mean, there are people that's just like every round is a competition round. Every round is like Mm -hmm. me versus you. And, and you, you miss that team training element, which is like, yeah, I'm going to push you to whatever you need to push you. But I also want to make sure you stay safe. I'm not doing anything that's going to be dangerous for you. Um, and in a lot of jujitsu gyms, I, I, I would say that the vast majority, I don't see that problem. However, again, like if you've only got one jujitsu gym within, you know, a 30 minute drive of you, and it happens to be some dude that, you know, Mm -hmm. did a little bit of wrestling and then was an amateur MMA fighter for like two or three years and then decided to open up, you know, a fight club in his neighborhood, you know, that, that might not be, even though jujitsu is a great art and it can be good for longevity overall, that might not be the place you want to be going. Um, and like you said, you know, people make judgments based off experiences and and rightfully so, but you also don't want that poor experience to be your judgment of the art of jujitsu. Right. And that's the, the dichotomy on both sides of that is there's different gyms for different people based off what you want to get out of it and everything that goes into it. And you can't just 
you know, oh, you know, Krav Maga is better, BJJ is better, kickboxing is better. It's no, like it's so individualized. You know, what do you need? What do you want to get out of it? And honestly, that's why we do things the way we do it here. So we have a Krav Maga program and a jiu-jitsu program and a kickboxing mm-hmm. program. And we do heavy bag classes and we do focus mid boxing classes and we do steel mace and we do mobility work and we do strength and conditioning because it should be holistic. Krav Maga is not enough. BJJ is not enough. Kickboxing is not enough. So we bring it all under one roof so that you can get a little bit of everything. And we tell our Krav Maga students that. Like I look at them. So for instance, to get a black belt under me, um, we don't really even call it our Krav Maga black belt, but I don't do Krav Maga black belts. To get a black belt under me, you have to have gone through all five levels of our Krav Maga program. You have to have at least a blue belt in jujitsu. You have to have at least 50 hours of live fire training. You have to have at least have gone to four other seminars with somebody. And we do like a whole list of, you know, who we think is good. So like rogue methods and fit to fight and shiv works. And like, you need to go see these guys too. There's a reading list that involves psychology and training and mental status and violence. Um, And you can't even apply or show up to take it unless you have satisfied all these things. You have to have done live competition for jujitsu. So it's like, to me, that's, that's really what I want to get in people's heads is none of these programs are enough. You should be thinking about the psychology. You should be thinking about, you know, your communication and your language. You should know how to shoot. Even if you hate firearms, you should know how to shoot. You should know how to use a knife. You should know and understand, you know, what it takes to get in there. You should be good at grappling. You should be good at kickboxing. And get those whole elements in. And to me, that's self-defense. Right. Now, if you want to just do kickboxing, awesome. Like more power to you. If you want to just do BJJ, awesome. If you want to just do Krav Maga, just don't Nothing come to me that. and say, yeah, just yeah. don't flex and say that we're the best. It's like, no, it's it's different, you know, it's different tropes for different folks. It's like, what do they need? And as long as we're honest about the needs and the context, to me, that's the smarter conversation, you know, in my experience. I think it's a really good way to, to, or a place to, to transition here. And you're right, man. Um, in a lot of ways. And I think, especially that last statement you just made, I don't think a lot of people can argue with that. There, a lot of people might try, but I, I think this, <laughs> I think you, what you said there about the smarter conversation, the smart ones, the ones that care, the ones that actually do, uh, appreciate the lens and the lenses that you're talking about. But I agree with you 100%. Uh, and, and to the BJJ point too about, you know, and this is any martial arts studio, whether it's Taekwondo, Muay Thai, whatever. I think you were mentioned about, hey, you know, there, there's a lot of places out there that could probably be doing a much better job. I would like to think that most places really are doing a fairly good job with this, or at least their intention is to do the best job they possibly can versus that other thing. So, you know, for those people that are listening out there, they're going, yeah, see, he just, he just proved the point. You know, that's why I don't go because this is a bunch of people, dudes beating up on one another. No, that isn't what Aaron said. Aaron said that might be a situation for you. So that, and that might not be the best place for you to go. And for other people, maybe it's the perfect place for that matter. So, well, and um, and I will say this, and I think you'll be able to attest to this those places don't survive long as a nope. business. So nope. it's... And you can, you can you know, read that right away on the, the people. Top. Yeah. Yeah, you, you can read that know, right away you when you walk in. until you go. Yeah. And one of the things yeah. that I encourage people when they are looking, because look, you know, and again, like we talked about earlier, like everybody should be training some, some semblance of fighting. 
it solves a lot of problems with you internally, psychologically, the way you handle stress, anxiety, whatever it is. Everybody should. Everybody doesn't. Most people don't. Everybody should, right? So you should be pursuing someplace, in my opinion. It's just my opinion. However, I also encourage people to like, look, if you walk into a place, the moment you feel genuinely uncomfortable, first, use your words. Hey, you know, I'm feeling this way. Is this normal or am I just, am I just intimidated to be here? Cause that can happen too. I mean, people are nervous to come see us and you know, we, I, I, we really like to make sure that people have this awesome first experience and we really walk them through the stages of, you know, intensity and all that type of stuff. So it could just be your perception of it. So use your words, like ask, you know, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm feeling this way. Is this normal? Like I came here for this, you know, it's totally cool if it's how you do it. Maybe I'm reading this wrong. And then their response right out of the gate should give you a pretty good idea of where the rest of this is going to go. If I go, hey, I think this guy's moving a little bit too fast for me. Is it okay if we slow down? Is this normal? And they're like, yeah, man, just fucking do it. It's like, okay, I'm, you know what? This maybe isn't for me. I'm going to pick my stuff up. I'm going to go to leave. So like, be, you know, get yourself into a position and, and ask, like ask, you're new, ask the questions that are on your mind, just say them out loud. And then if you don't like the response or you don't like the atmosphere, pick up and walk out the door. You know, that's the other thing, like be comfortable going by your way and then you can move on to the next place. Um, this you know, is, it's like, this it's, is, this is conflict resolution in life. Oh, dude. 100%. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what you were saying. Like, so everybody should be doing this, right? It teaches you so many things and it puts you, it gives you that self-confidence to carry yourself in a different way and to ultimately ask the question like, hey man, you're being a little aggressive. Am I feeling weird right now? Or is this, you know, is this me or is this you? Like what's really going on? You know, yeah. depending on the response you get, it's time for me to leave versus might be time for me to fight. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, right? it's, and, and I'm, and this, the person that's been in it a while is going to be like, is going to start recognizing that way ahead of time. Like, uh, this isn't a good situation for me. That's that yeah. situational awareness that comes with it. You know, with that confidence, like, yeah, this doesn't feel right. So yeah. uh, it's time for me to go. I, I just, one of the things that you pick up that I think is very much overlooked. I mean, you just, you just nailed it with that. Yeah, man. So yeah, go train. So, so let's, let, yeah, <laughs> let's you train, fucking train. Um, and, and, and stop shitting on other people's training, just train. And then maybe yeah. try some different stuff. Look, um, I got a but, buddy here that does like Aikido and in some weird, I say weird respectfully, cause I just don't understand it. But like, yeah, that's what we samurai, <laughs> yeah, like an old yeah. school samurai training and things like that. And like, I, you know, I, he also does jiu-jitsu. He also does Krav Maga, right? So like all of that stuff is great. If you're doing Taekwondo, go do it. Just as long as you understand why you're doing it. Like he knows there is zero chance he's going to be walking out in public and pull out his samurai sword and have to defend himself against <laughs> another samurai with a sword. He knows that. Wait, well, that's he loves, what? <laughs> right? <laughs> But he loves the yeah. art and he learns a lot about yeah. movement and mechanics and sabertronics and like, you know, generation of force. Like, just know what you're doing with it. I respect the hell out of anybody that goes and trains anything. So don't shit on anybody's training. Yeah. Just, it, it sounds you know, weird to Don't me. come at me with it a samurai weird. sword and say yeah. like, yeah, I've been training self-defense. It's like, no, you've been training murder right? <laughs> and, and a lot of big issues, right? Which I'm okay with. Justified murder is cool, but... Like, all right, you're walking around picking fights with a samurai sword. But anyway, I, I apologize, Scott. Go ahead, let's go. <laughs> That's funny. So speaking of swords, right? And we were yes. just talking about the Krav Maga and the whole thing. And I was talking about transitioning. Let's transition into knife control concepts. Sure, Because, yeah. you know, for, you know, going back to the Krav Maga, this makes sense. You know, we're talking about weapons manipulation, self-defense, and then use of, you know, uh, force multipliers. 
you know, there's a lot of, um, we're starting to see a little bit more of this pop up out there. There's some, some big names, maybe you'll, you'll drop some of them. I think you, you, you already did, um, uh, just some of the people that you're working with, but, you know, talk about knife control concepts, what it is that you're teaching, um, and, and how it is that you're teaching it outside mm-hmm. of the typical stuff, all the things that we've already mentioned. And here's, yeah, yeah. here's a couple of things that you might, that I'm curious to, to know about. First off, sure. like, Who's coming to these classes, like, and, mm-hmm. and who's taking this stuff? Who's most interested? And the other part is, is like, you got into the. You mentioned earlier that you've crossed this barrier into working with law enforcement uh, as a civilian, and so I'm curious where uh, how that fits in for you specifically with regard to uh, knife control concepts. Sure. Yeah. So the the KCC program, um, it's like I said, it's our look at handling the entanglement. So there's, uh, you know, just as I was talking about earlier, like self-defense should have striking and, and all that type of stuff. Uh, this program has zero striking in it. <laughs> um, it's all about learning to manage the entanglement. And for those listening in that are like, he keeps using this word entanglement, literally picture you physically entangled with another person. Um you know, that's what it is. So somebody holding onto your shirt, somebody you grabbing you and framing while they're stabbing you, somebody trying to access a blade, you know, within close quarters. So we, it's our answer to learning how to manage that. Now, the, in my experience, and I can only speak to my experience in teaching knife defense stuff, we previously, when most things are taught, we're taught a series of techniques in a very specific order. And then when you get into to live training, scenario training, whatever you want to call it, or real world violence, nothing ever follows a specific order. So ever. what it actually, yeah, ever. Um, so violence starts to become more about decision making. So how quickly can I observe what's happening? You know, what if you whether you want to go through OODA loop and all that kind of fun stuff, but how quickly can I bring in information, process information and make a decision? Like that's really, I think the most important part. And in my experience, the ability to do that comes from exposure. So the more times I am exposed to something, the faster I will recognize that it is happening and or about to happen, and the sooner I can decide to act against it, right? And this Mm -hmm. is fighting in general, even in boxing. uh, You know, like if you look at Mayweather, you know, in his like defensive strategy for boxing, Mayweather is not, it's not that he's like reading everything perfectly. It's that he has literally stood across and watched hundreds of thousands of right hooks come at his head so he can pick up on mannerisms, patterns, body mechanics. And he's in his brain already decided that they're about to throw, you know, a right hook, right uppercut, whatever. And he's already moving. And so he's doing that because he's been exposed to it hundreds of thousands of times. Can I draw, can I jump in here for, can I just jump in for a second? The other thing he knows is that the guy isn't going to kick him in the head. Right? Exactly. He also knows he's not going to pull out a weapon. So there's what you know isn't going to happen as well as what you've witnessed happen several times. But in Absolutely. a real-world self-defense situation, there are no fucking rules. So yeah. that's a... There are patterns. Go- mm-hmm. Yeah, there are patterns. And so we can we can do a little bit of like statistical, you know, hey, I've watched X amount of knife videos and 80% do this, 90% do this, 30% do this. And you can play that game all you want, but you're absolutely right. You know, that 10% on the other end of 90 is still 10%. Shit still happens, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so instead of creating a system that's like, hey, this is like, for instance, in Krav Maga, like going back to the comparisons here, overhand knife is a very specific, 
It's this is how you do the defense. You grab, you do this, you do this. So it's that ABCD. Well, I don't know when the knife's going to populate. I don't know how it's going to populate. I don't know how big the dude is. I don't know where it's going to come from. So instead of creating a system of ABCD, what we essentially created was a chain wrestling system so that we can teach Hmm. you the most common positions that we see in real fights, not you know, again, like I'm, I'm, I'm making an over-exaggerated example for a reason, not deep half. You know what I mean? Like we don't mm-hmm, see that populating mm-hmm. in real life. But what we do see very naturally is half collar ties, shirt ties, two-on-ones, mm-hmm. like very general positions, big, gross, ugly overhooks and underhooks. So we put you in all of the most plausible situations for self-defense. What are these positions? For us, that's the inside two-on-one, front side two-on-one, outside two-on-one, back position, overhook, underhook, front headlock. Those are going to be like your primary, okay, look, if I understand yeah. how these positions work, I'm covering basic stand-up wrestling at this point. Yeah. Now, what's so the most important thing? Yeah. So the most important thing for us to get people to now start to understand not only how to execute these things, but be able to adapt to them is they have to get a ton of reps. So then the idea is how do we create a system built to help people appropriately practice? Because the other big problem that I saw in a lot of martial arts, and again, this is coming from me teaching. What I, what I believe is I look back on the first nine years of me teaching and being like, man, I was teaching super inefficiently. I was teaching a lot of ways they did older wise. So now instead of looking at it and saying where most people go, where it's like, I, you know, whatever, I do an outside defense counter, drag to the outside, take the knife away. That was one rep. And now you go, and now I go, we go back and forth. Well, how can I get as many reps as possible in the shortest period of time? And not only that, but create a system that people will actually consistently train. Because let's like, how many people go to a 16 hour training on a weekend and then they might actually pick up one or two things? So let's say they pick up 10% of what they learned over the weekend and then they might actually train after the weekend. 20% of that 10%. You know what I mean? It's a very, it's all very small percentages, man. Like you've invested the time you've taken, you know, which meant you had to give up something else, which means you have to come back to that something to cover that, you know, to make up for the time that you took away in order to do it. It's very small percentage of of people. And, And then also like practically speaking, like if you're talking about the firearms thing, like I have to have range time. I have to have access. I have to you know, be in a place where I'm not going to be limited on what I can and can't do on the range, you know, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I mean, it's a very small percentage. Yeah. So what we tried to do is solve that problem the best that we can. We understand, look, like you're not going to go back to whatever it is, your Krav Maga gym, your kickboxing gym, or just your job as a law enforcement officer or whatever your real life is and be able to commit additionally on top of what you already do three hours a week to all of this. So what if I told you that once you do this training, I can set you up with very specific drills to practice that if you did them for five minutes, three to five days a week, now keep on, this is the long game. Like you're going to do this every week, but if you did five minutes a day, three to five days a week and plug it into whatever you're doing. So if you're going to show up to your jujitsu studio, grab a buddy and warm up with these drills for five minutes and then go do your jujitsu class. So now instead of 60 minutes on the mats, I'm spending 65 You know what I mean? So how do we solve this problem? Well, to me, that's through chain wrestling and flow drills. 
I'm constantly staying in contact. I'm flowing from one position to the next, which means it's not a static drill. It's an actual drill. There's energy, there's degrees of difficulty that we teach people how to do it so that they'll actually get something out of the training course. Our material could be the best thing in the world. Somebody else's material could be the best thing in the world, but the only impact the individual is going to get is what they do after the training. Mm -hmm. So like, for instance, I'm heading to Connecticut in two weeks um, and I'll be hanging out with um, Rob Mago with uh, Manchester BJJ and the Officer Survival Series, which he runs an incredible program for law enforcement and he's an incredible instructor. Um, But we see those guys for two days. The last Mm -hmm. time we saw them was last March. So it's been 11 months since I've seen them. So if I see you for two days... For us, it's only five and a half hour days. So they're getting a total of 11 hours of training. Okay, so I see you for 11 hours. What have you done the last 12 months? That's what's going to matter. So mm-hmm. instead of you know going out and saying, look, I'm going to teach you these very intricate specific things. It's like, look, these are the most common positions. These are the things that we see out of people as far as like stabbing goes in the, the highest percentage of situations. My objective is to boil this down to the most primal version of wrestling that you could understand. And more importantly, get you to get hundreds of thousands of reps in 11 hours. Right. Yeah. And then how to be able to actually be able to train this moving forward. And that to me is, is the biggest, I guess, long-term gain. And so we've coupled that training program with the online program so that everybody that attends our in-person ones now has an online resource that they can go back, they can see all the training drills and they can actually practice. So long story short, Knife Control Concepts, if you come to our level one, um, is in the stand-up position, we look specifically at the two-on-one outside control. So what happens if I get stuck on the inside and how do I work from the inside to the outside? And understanding all of those positions. It's not specifically to get to the back. It's to understand what are my answers for the inside? What are my answers for the front? What are my answers for the outside? What are the answers to the back? How do I transition through these positions and execute on any one of them? And then on day two, we do uh, a pronated attacker and a supinated attacker, us on top and in control. And so if I understand, like if I, I should say this in reverse, if I can't control somebody on the ground when I am on top and they haven't entangled me, then I can't even start talking to you about how to fight off your back with a knife, right? So it's obviously it's gonna, degrees yep. of learning how to train, yeah. So yep. that's what the KCC level one is. And we break it up in a manner where the concepts, hence the program name, Knife Control Concepts, the concepts tie from standing to pronated on the floor to supinated on the floor. And everything that we do across the board ties right back into the first initial drills that you learn. That way you can actually practice it. You can actually absorb it. And you're essentially learning good top pressure management, good movement, hand and blade awareness, and how to get in and out of these various positions that you're going to see very commonly. Like, uh, you know, if you go to a a Craig Douglas, like a shiv works and you go to ECQC and let's say you get to a split seatbelt or a back gift wrap you're going to go, oh shit, this is the back gift wrap. And I'm going to say, absolutely. Right. And, and now that we got you there, now you can do whatever it is that you want. Maybe you want to dump somebody on the floor. Maybe you want to go and access your gun or your knife. And now you want to go on the offensive. Our job is in between entry and exit. We live in that space. It's like, if you're law enforcement, you have a different set of things you need to accomplish. If you're a civilian on your own, you have a different set of things you need to accomplish. If you have your weapon or don't have your weapon, You have different options that you need to accomplish. So our job is to teach you how to navigate that maze 
And then you can plug that in to enhance anything that you do. So if you carry Mm -hmm. your knife or carry a gun or, you know, the different context of I'm going to defend or I'm going to deal with an attacker differently if I'm out with my seven and five-year-old than I am if I'm out by myself. I'm going to deal with that differently if I'm out with myself and my wife without our kids versus if I'm out with, you know, all four of Mm -hmm. us together. So those are all completely different fights. And I can't go, here's the answer to a straight stab. Here's the answer to an overhead. Yeah. Yeah. So instead, we teach you how to freaking wrestle, how to get a ton of reps doing it. And we only focus on what we have seen to be the most plausible positions of control. Yeah. So you just went through a really good um, explanation of sort of the curriculum. And I think people that have been through some combatives classes, whether it be with, you know, uh, blades or firearms, they're listening to this going, yep, this makes perfect sense. And they also heard the beginning part of that was like, I went through this amazing class. I learned so many things, um, but I really haven't practiced it since. Like, yeah. because there's, it's very hard to do unless I have a partner or I go to a particular academy or school, BJJ or whatever, self-defense academy that we're actually drilling this stuff, which is the harder thing to do. But, you know, yeah. you talk about the, the, the different positions, the two-on-one position is, is an example. And I think if, as people are bouncing around and they're looking at these things, uh, like me, uh, you know, it's being, I'm being exposed to it through whether it's social media or otherwise, I'm, I'm hearing you, I can visualize this stuff. This isn't you reinventing the wheel. No, Uh, this isn't you. Yeah. So this isn't you coming up with like, this is the method it's more like we've seen and done a lot of methods and we see a lot yeah. of other people doing those too. And what we're just trying to do is simplify it, not dumb it down, yeah. but simplify it so that you, we can deliver uh, the methodology through. And, but, but, but that's based on a philosophy that we know we can't teach you everything. So, yeah. um, and, and we know that if you get yourself in this position, but can't handle this position, it doesn't matter. Like we, so we have to focus here first. And that is really the simplification of, of what is and can be a very complex program, a, a problem set without overcomplicating it. Uh, yeah. and it, it makes it actionable. Yeah, it, and I think that's yes. the big thing is you can actually like, you can take this material and put it into play right. and, and again, practice it in small blocks. You know what I mean? And that's where, you know, you're, you're on the money with like the way you're assessing this from the other side is it's, it's simplifying it into a package and making it actionable. And that's always been the biggest problem for me. And so honestly, I was, I was really just trying to solve my own problem, my Mm -hmm. own struggles when it came into it. And I think that's how a lot of things are developed. It's like, man, where have I struggled and how do I solve that problem? And I, oh, wow, I wonder, I bet people are having the same problem. Um, so yeah, you're on well, it. It's not, it's not only, you know, the people that are training that way, it's also the coaches trying to figure this out or the people that are in charge of coaching people, um, with regard to, you know, I want to give them everything I can possibly give them, but I also re- recognize that there are limitations here. So this goes to the yeah. law enforcement question. I mean, I sure. think we can, any, any law enforcement officer knows this, whether they want to, uh, admit to it or not, where they fall in line in the pecking order and how that might impact them. And a lot of the, the, the public now, or a lot of the people, let's just say in the space that you and I spend a lot of time in or, or spaces that we, we spend time in, will tell you like they're, they're, they're just very undertrained. Uh, yeah. law enforcement, there's just no amount of money that could, that they're, that's being spent now anywhere that will give somebody, given a law enforcement officer or somebody in that genre, uh, enough training to be equipped to deal with all of the things. 
Uh, it usually comes down to a financial thing, but it also comes down to a bureaucracy thing, like what's important, what's not. And so if you're out there as a coach and you're trying to deliver to another coach that was actually now in charge of regularly training, you know, at the academy or officers in their, in their uh, you know, additional training time or whatever else, it's really important that you're able to do and articulate or articulate and then do what you just are articulated uh, in, a, in a very concise sort of way. Because they're only, they're going to get minimal exposure to this, mm-hmm. minimal exposure to this. However, some would, ar- I, I might argue, it's probably one of the most important things they could possibly get. I mean, firearms training is important. I mean, how do you weigh the two? I don't know, but they are going hands-on with people in a lot of cases on a daily basis. People are making arrests every single day and mm-hmm. there's not always blades and there's not always firearms involved, but you're bringing those to the fight. And yeah. if you're not, if you're not equipped to deal with what happens when the shit goes down, um, outside of the, you know, three weeks of self-defense training you got in the academy, you, obviously this is a, this is problematic. So talking about the transition into, uh, into, you know, training law enforcement or not transition, but your, mm-hmm. in, your involvement in doing that, was that a hard thing to do? Uh, and, and, and if it, if it was like, why? And if it's not, you know, how did, how did this happen? Because again, I keep bringing this up because I'm always intrigued. I see a lot of like private citizens that do a really good job and have really quality products and services to offer, they just really struggle to break across the barrier. Um, and, and it's, it's unfortunate. Uh, I, I get it, you know, as to why it's not happening in a lot of cases, but it's, it's what I want you to share is like how you did it. So people can maybe try a different approach. Yeah, um, it it can be a struggle. And I, I like that terminology a little bit because oftentimes um, as coaches or just people in this industry, we have a tendency, just like we were talking about, you know, typecasting different martial arts, we have a tendency to typecast groups in general. And so a lot of people will go like, oh, you know, no law enforcement ever wants to train or no department will ever take me on or I'll never get a department contract. And it's like, well, you've had, you haven't had success yet someone will take you in. It's, it's, you know, there's something going on there. Um, so yeah, long story short, it can, it can be difficult. Now, again, I was lucky, um, in regard to the way that I was brought up through this, because the first five years that I did this, I, I worked for somebody else. I worked, I mentioned earlier, uh, Mm -hmm. gentleman by the name of Mark Slane. So I, I was under him. And so, and he previously had, I don't even know how many years of Taekwondo. He was a very highly competitive Taekwondo instructor. And then he was one of the first Krav Maga instructors to go through like the system when Darren Levine had brought it back. So he was like one of the first, I think, seven black belts in Krav Maga in the United States. So like he, he had already been building a reputation in Columbus, Ohio, um, you know, as a gym owner and as somebody that understood, you know, at least some fighting. And then he had... Um, one of his students who became one of his black belts uh, was a lieutenant with one of the local police departments. So like he was already building a network and a reputation. And then I was able to come in as, you know, oh, I'm, I'm the guy under Mark. And now I get to meet these people kind of, you know, mm-hmm. through that. So my first, um, the first official law enforcement contract I ever did um, was with a local department about two hours from Columbus. Um, I won't name any names. Mm-hmm. Um, but the police chief there was very proactive, 
really enjoyed Krav Maga. He had seen pieces of it and trained pieces of it. He himself did boxing, kickboxing, and jiu-jitsu. So he was very proactive. Um, where you talk about hands being tied is that uh, uh, from a policy standpoint, he mm-hmm. only had X amount of funding. He wasn't allowed to force his guys to train. He wasn't like any of these things. So even though he's the guy, he's still limited by, you know, city okay. budgets and department budgets and liability right. and policies and yeah, yeah, everything that goes into it. So he had brought us out. And so my first exposure to law enforcement was he knew of Ohio Krav Maga, got in touch with Mark. Mark sent me up to do the training because Mark was unable to do the training. So my first contract was handed to me, um, like as far as that goes. Yeah. Which is awesome. So it's, there is a, who, you know, versus what, you know, thing that you do have to understand and people can get upset about that all they want, but that's just life. So get out there and network and put yourself out and talk to people and bring people in and expand who you are or just, don't complain about it because if you're not putting in the legwork to go meet the people that'll put you in the position and you're not talking to them the way they should or the way you should, then that's going to be problematic. It's not really, you know, it's not them, it's you. Like if I'm talking to, you know, the training officer, uh, you know, I'm going to talk to him totally different. I'm going to talk to him about the tactics in which we've got and how we can teach him how to teach his guys and how we can simplify what they're doing. And how we can get their benefits. If I'm talking to the chief, I'm talking to him a little bit different about like, Hey, listen, you know, overall, you know, we'll make this very easy to implement into your program. We can satisfy this inside of your schedules and in even inside of the shift rotation in which that you work with your department. I'm talking to him about, you know, like public, you know, views and what they're going to see and how this training is not going to make them more aggressive and violent, but more confident in the way that they can get to train. And then if I'm talking to the city manager I'm talking to them about like, well, if I train your guys up, that's going to lower your, uh, you know, situations of use of force. It's going to lower your injuries during arrests, which is going to bring down any potential for suing, any potential for any workers' comp claims. So, like, I can't go to the city manager and say, let me tell you how awesome, you know, wrestling and jujitsu is for law enforcement. Like, they don't care. They nope. care that it's going to save the city money. And I go to the right. police chief. He wants to know keep that. keep it to the press. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, so know who you're talking to when you're talking to them and know what you need to be getting out of the people you're talking to. And and that took me a long time to learn. I mean, that's not, you know, we all make our mistakes there, but you, you have to play the game if you want to get in the game to be able to do that. So you have to know who you're talking to and, and what they need to go. So I was lucky enough early on to get, you know, that contract was handed to me. I did I want to say four total trainings with them over the span of two years. Um, I'm going to be completely honest, man. Oh gosh. The, and again, this is, this is just to this group. And I know it's kind of the way it is in a lot of places. I just try not to be completely absolute about it, but man, there was, I, I taught both shifts. They had two shifts. I taught both shifts. I had half of them the first half of the day, half of them the second half of the day. Um, one of their guys, a couple of days before I got there, was stabbed by a drug addict and was in the wow. hospital. Two of the people that showed up put any effort into that in-surface training. Every single one of them were just so pissed off that they had to put in three extra overtime hours. They were getting paid to be there, and they just didn't want to put the work in. And the, the really, like, that was, man, as a young instructor, that was so disappointing because I, you know, I still was walking in 
thinking like, oh yeah, like, man, I get to work with cops. This is awesome. You know, these are the guys I really wanted to get in and help out. And, you know, maybe I can learn from them. And like, I had this like, you know, I'm so green and bright eyed and I'm, you know, 22 years old and it's like, ah, and then I got out there and I was like, man, I was just so bummed because they were given an opportunity. They were being paid to train. So they were getting paid to do what I love to do, which it just didn't make any sense to me. And I, and I get it. Don't get me wrong. If you're law enforcement, listen to this. I know that it's, there are plenty of psychological issues and time and, you know, whatever it is and hours. But man, like to, I don't know. It was like your buddy just got stabbed three days ago. I'm a hundred at the time. I'm like 155, 160 pounds and I'm working the big guys in here. And I'm not even good back then. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm still early in what I know about like grappling and self-defense and jitsu as in general as it is. And I'm like, man, you're having trouble dealing with me at 160 pounds and your buddy just got stabbed three days. Man, it just didn't make any sense. And it was, it was very upsetting, unfortunately. Um, but it, it honestly got me to realize what we talked about before, which was like, I gotta, you need to meet people where they're at. Mm -hmm. instead of walking in and forcing your expectations on them. And so I usually will spend the first, anytime I do any training, this isn't just in-service training for departments, but anytime I do any training with a group of people that I just don't know and haven't paid their own money to be there, it's a little different mm -hmm. when somebody pays $350 to come train with us for two days than it is mm -hmm. when it's like, hey, this is a work thing, it's an in-service training or it's a corporate training. The first hour or two, I really just try to feel them out. I try to make things a little bit easier, a little icebreaker, and make sure that it's in there. I just, just want to kind of see where we're at, and then I'll meet the group where they're at. If there's three guys in there that I can just tell, you know, man, these three want to really be here, then they're probably going to get a little more of my attention than anybody else in the class. I'll push them a little bit harder. I'll let everybody else just kind of, uh, you know, go through the motions, um, still giving them good, solid training, but. I want them to be invested in it. So I try to make their experience what they want the experience to be in into that regard. And, and I can't be emotionally invested in the fact that maybe they don't want to be there training. Yeah, um, that dude. So, so, yeah, it's tough, so man. So many things right there. So many things. And, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, and so to go back, I mean, that's yes. why I wanted to ask because, you know, a lot of people are like, yeah, I want to work with the tier one guys. I want to work with the people that are out on the you know, out on the street every day with plate carriers and have to carry a gun and a badge and, you know, protecting and serving, not understanding that they don't necessarily want to be there. So there's, there's stuff here. First, one, what I heard you say is like you work with somebody else, almost like an, as an apprentice, so to speak, yes. for a yeah. while. You weren't trying to be a big fish in a small pond. And I think there's so many coaches out there in all the different realms, whether it's firearms, martial arts, you know, the specifics of what you're doing with regard to combatives and self-defense. Uh, fitness, whatever it happens to be, everybody wants to be, you know, puff out their chest and be, you know, the expert and show what they can do. And they're doing that in all different kinds of, <clears throat> different kinds of ways. And there's, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot, it makes a lot of sense to stop trying to be that for a little while or spend some time with somebody else, knowing while you're, while, while you're there, what you should be doing. One of those things is to just learn, right? Yeah. And part of the learning is learning how to network and building relationships and taking it all in uh, and asking questions and, 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 and so forth. And, and I think a lot of people are just like, well, I can be an instructor. I can be a coach. All I have to do is, you know, fill out some paperwork, put my name in a building or start a website or whatever else. Cause I got these 10 people that are listening to me and already paying me this, uh, you know, I'm going to go down the, you know, I'm just going to continue this. And the next time, 
Next thing it'll be 20 people and then it'll be 30 people. And you've missed so much along the way in terms of the learning process and you're going to reach a ceiling. The other part about that was, is the, the ones you're getting in and the, those that you're teaching, not having skin in the game, which is becoming a, a real theme on this show from the coaches that are going, look, when I got in, I wanted to teach those guys, you know, those are the people I wanted to be instructing. So I opened this up with, you know, like there's bureaucracy and there's budgets and there's, you know, policies and, and, and things like that within the department. We're talking as a culture about getting not, not everybody, but you know, the, the people within our, I I think where you're coming from and who I get to talk to and and privileged to, to, to hang out with, we're talking about the need for this training. We're talking about how we need to fund this training up. Yet we have a major cultural issue on the inside with regard to what is valued, what is not valued. And that's coming from a leadership perspective, right? And it's coming from the hands down. But you're seeing difference in culture when you go to these smaller departments, which you mentioned you went to and still didn't have an awesome experience. But I am seeing like people like, yeah, if I get this LAPD contract, you know, I'm, I got it made, you know, we're done, you know, I'm going to be the guy. Well, first off, the reality of that happening is probably at best slim to none, right? But the 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 other part of that is all the things that you just said about knowing who you're talking to mm-hmm. and and how to get in there in, in the right kind of way and stop trying to do too much too soon. You know, who yeah. you're influencing and how you're trying to influence them is extremely important. And that's learned over time, like you said. But even if you do influence the right person that let's just say has the checkbook, the checkbook or the purse, the purse strings, that doesn't mean, that doesn't necessarily mean the people on the other side want you there. And so yeah. the question I would ask people is like, what are you doing to be remarkable so that people want you there? And mm-hmm. if they can't get you in that, if they've gotten, you know, let's just say really annoying with their, you know, with their, their, their next in command or whatever else, like, Hey, I think we really need this training. I really want to bring these guys in and have you check them out and whatever else. And if they won't bring, bring them in, then they, they, they want to be, they want it so bad. They step back and they go, I'm going to write the check for me then, you know, mm-hmm. Hey boss, can I get the, the weekend off? Can I get some time? And I know in a lot of cases you won't get that time. I mean, I, I train with people all the time that, you know, that are in law enforcement and they're like, dude, they will not pay a thing. I'm here on my day. I get one yeah. day off right now. I'm here. I'm on my own dime. And again, going back to the theme, the great coaches are going and the ones that I think are really making an impact in their respective, you know, genres within the different spaces are the ones that have stepped back and gone, I want to work with people that want to be worked with. I want to work with people. And by the way, as a citizen on the street, I want that guy, if that's law enforcement or that, that, that person showing up when I need help or when my family needs help or whatever else. So I think we have maybe like this unrealistic expectation that just because we fund it, or we make it available, it's going to somehow make a difference. And you would like to think yeah. that idealistically, it will do that. But the reality of it is there has to be this huge culture shift. And part of that needs to be in the coaches and the things that are being provided out there. Let's stop fucking shitting on one another. So mm-hmm. pardon my language, but let's stop doing that and let's get together. Let's spend time together as coaches and find out how we can force multiply our numbers to have to, to start to change the tide a little bit as we're watching this groundswell. I'm, Sorry, I'm on my, my soapbox here. But as we're watching this groundswell of maybe younger officers or, or people that are coming to your classes on their own dime, walk back into their departments or walk back into their particular situations and start talking about it to their leadership to go like, hey, 
Like, this is what I learned. And, you know, the next thing is, is like, oh, well, why don't you just teach our guys? You're already here. You're already on our dime. And then pushing back, oh, no, you don't understand. It's yeah. not that simple. And this is something that needs to be committed to. I'm committed to learning more, but I don't know at all. And there's all these people out here that are doing that. And all those people that are out there doing that need to be okay with other people doing that. Oh right? And, and not, and Amen. yeah, it's just, it, so again, it's a, it's a little bit of a theme and I, I, it comes up almost on every episode and, you know, for a while there, I was like, oh, I don't want this to get boring and people to think about it. But the bottom line is, it's, it's a true. fucking thing. It's yeah. true, man. Yeah, I don't. Well, so that's and, the next question for you is, is like, is, does that just drive you crazy? How do you handle that? I mean, there's going to be haters out there. There's going to be all that stuff. How do you, how do you wade yeah, through that, man? That's a great question. Um, and it, it ties into what you're talking about. And, and it goes all the way back to, you know, when I, that first one that I walked into where I kind of got hit with that, that, uh, like disappointment, I, I walked into it very excited and having a certain expectation. That expectation wasn't met. It's not a good or a bad Realistic. thing. It's just, Unrealistic, yeah, I, just though. Yeah. I just had an expectation that wasn't the expectation that happened. And I let that hit me pretty hard, but I also walked into that with more of a, I can't believe you don't want to do this mentality. Whereas the guy just got stabbed the week before, right? Yeah, like, it's crazy yeah. to me too. And, and hear it, it's nuts. Well, and that's fine, but we also want to look at it, and or at least again, I, we also want to. This is the way that I'm looking at it. Is like, in my opinion, when you look at those things, that's me trying, me paying attention through my lens. This is my rationalization of what should be happening post somebody getting injured. However, other people don't think like me. And everybody has their own viewpoints and things like that. So I think going back to what you said earlier about like wanting to be the dude um, and Craig Douglas says this, you know, he, he, he complimented us one time with it. And I just think it's such a cool way to look at it. It's the difference between coaches that want to do something versus coaches that want to be somebody. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest thing. Like when you look at it and you go like, like I'm going into these contracts because I'm open to God that anybody that comes into my training if, you know, God forbid they have to use it, it helps them. Like I can help keep mm. somebody alive. I can help, you know, tailor a situation so that their life, you know, in, in, you know, is filled with a little more joy and they can get through these things a little bit better. And if you walk into that because, well, the, you know, the, this, you know, I'm, I'm the expert, listen to what I have to say. I'm the guy that starts to ruin it right out of the gate. And that mentality not only turns off those people that already thought this training was probably going to be stupid right? But also starts to fuel the problem that we run into, which is exactly as you're saying it. It's like, look, like I can't teach everybody. I, I feel very good about the material that I put out. I don't think it's the best because I think anybody, the second they think their material is the best, they forget that they have much to learn. Like I know <laughs> a lot and I'm also very, very, very aware that there is 100 times more things that I don't know. So like, I just, I look at it and go, I am a very good coach. And I also have so much to learn that hopefully will make me a better coach. And the second that you look at it and you go like, well, I'm the best, or this art is the best, or my program is the best. That's when people start getting real closed minded and they stop learning. And like you, to your point, learning is a huge part of it. And so when you walk in with that expectation of like, I'm the expert, I'm the guy, you should be listening to me. I can't believe you'd show up for my training, which I used to. I used to get very upset when people showed up to training and didn't want to put the work in. I took that personally. And when I started realizing like, look, that's not two things. One, I can resolve this by connecting with those people right out of the gate, not even from a physical standpoint. I'm not going to make up for it 
like, hey, look how good I am. I'm going to actually try like, hey, man, you're like, why are you here? What's your background? Tell me a little bit about you. I want to know your name. I want to know like, what, how can I make this experience the best possible experience for you? So then they start going like, oh, this guy's actually pretty cool and he actually wants to benefit something. Like maybe I'll listen. And then you start that relationship by actually connecting with these people. Um, you know, if you can't do that, that becomes problematic. And if I, if mm. I take their actions personally, like they're a personal attack on me, that's just going to make shit worse. So I think this, the whole idea of like going in and wanting to be the guy or the girl, but wanting to be the person is the biggest problem because it starts to close off how they can actually build trust with you, which they have to trust you, especially in a law enforcement or in service, law enforcement or military, but an in-service thing, because we are talking about their life. Like I'm going to go into them mm-hmm. and tell them like, I'm here to teach you how to defend against a knife. This is a lethal force situation. You could die. They have to trust me like as a human to then actually put in the work to learn the thing. So you need to be able to connect. You need to be able to humble yourself and bring yourself back down. You need to be willing to learn. Um, and that to me ties into then the conversation we're having right now, which is if I go over and I look at all these other people, whether I, uh, uh, you know, whether they've been around longer than me or they're up and coming, like we're all trying to help. I might not agree with everything that you're doing, but if, but if, like you said, very early on, if you can tell the intention that, man, they are trying, maybe they just don't yeah. know yet, but they're trying right. What good is it for me to to cut their ass down? You know what I mean? I wrote, there's a section in the back of the book I wrote where I had written this Facebook. It was a rant, if I'm being honest. But it was uh, right when in 2016, when a lot of active shooter training was finally, unfortunately, it's weird to say this, but active shooter training was getting a slightly positive outlook as far as like physical training went. So people were actually seeking out training a little bit more. Everybody was flexing on everybody, man. It was like... I can't believe this asshole's teaching this program and this program is stupid and our program's the best. And it's like, look, I wrote this article and I said, if, if all of my instructors at the time, I think I had 10 total instructors. If all of my instructors taught 100 people every day for 365 days, I could not teach like 3% of the entire state that I live in. Correct. So you're literally telling me if I worked 365 days a year teaching 100 new people every single day. That information isn't getting out there, dude. It's not, not getting, getting anywhere. And yeah. now I'm going to be mad because the guy 20 minutes down the road is trying to do the same thing. And the guy 10 minutes from him is trying to do the same thing. And I'm going to flex on them because I disagree with the shit. Like it's, if you think about it, it's like, if we're really trying to help people, then if I do have a disagreement, let's just sit down and be like, Hey man, in my experience, This is what we've dealt with. What are your thoughts on this? Hey, that's an interesting drill. Why do you do it and present it that way? I'm interested to see your your foresight on it or your, you know, your feedback on it. Or just don't. Like, don't Don't get involved. Yeah. Yeah. Just stay the hell (laughs) out of the comment section. But it's so it's so crazy to me because coming up, like I've had so many genuine people actually reach out and help me. And that's, I think, such a positive light and something that supported me along the way most recently being Craig. I mean, Craig Douglas, I mean, man, I can't begin to explain how much I appreciate him and and the friendship that we developed and the the mentorship, you know, over that. Cause I mean, he is like, for no reason, he has no, he owes me nothing. And he is just really like, he's been there to answer questions. He's been very publicly uh, um, 
supportive and given praise to what we're doing with the KCC program and, you know, how Mike, Eli and I run the program. And he's, he's got no reason to do it, except that he realizes I can't coach everybody and I'm not going to be here forever. And somebody else needs to be doing this. And I've had several people over the years, you know, do that. And I, I just, I don't understand the flex because even, even as a, a gym, so like I own a brick and mortar here, obviously, as we've talked about, I mean, maybe we could handle 300 active memberships, like really, really, maybe, you know? So if I have 300 people, like there's a few million in my city. So like you could, you could literally put 10 jujitsu gyms in the same exact parking lot, 10 self-defense gyms in the same exact parking lot. And we could all do perfectly fine just marketing to the city of Hilliard, which is not a small, which is not a big city. Theoretically. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. if we weren't trying to kill each other the whole time. And it's so fast. Dude, when we started, Ohio Krav Maga and Fitness was in the same parking lot as Rogue Fitness, which is now like this massive, huge fitness yeah. business, right? Yeah. We were in the same parking lot. And mm-hmm. I did, we did CrossFit and they did CrossFit and they were five doors down from us. And guess what? We both had over like 250 <laughs> members and we're both doing perfectly fine. You know what I mean? It's Just like- doing fine, yeah. It's just fascinating. Uh, yeah. So I, man, you can tell that really gets me hot. Like I just, I, I wish we did what you were talking about, which was supported each other and shared information and, you know, promoted each other left and right and, and didn't take things so personally all the time to the point where we could just go out and help people and realize that like, I don't know, man, I, like anytime I walk into a training, you know, talk, taking back to law enforcement, I mentioned this earlier, I have, I have, I have not done law enforcement. I have not been in the military. So I have no previous experience in any of this. And usually my, hey, this is Aaron Gennetti. He's running this course introduction is, hey guys, look, my name's Aaron Gennetti. I have zero background in law enforcement. I do not understand what your job entails. I have an idea. People have talked to me, but I've never done it. What I do know is I have a really deep background when it comes to firearms and wrestling and grappling. And I can teach you physical skill sets and the psychological dynamics of violence and fighting. And you can then learn how to apply that to law enforcement. You can learn to apply that as a corrections officer. You can learn to apply that, you know, as as a military team and whatever's going on there. But I am not going to say, I I have no idea. If you want to talk to me about, you know, I know your job is hard. I have no idea exactly how hard because I've never been there. And I'm not going to act like I've been there. And I'm not going to act like I know better than you. What I do know, I feel pretty confident very, very, very confident in this subsection of material that I'm going to share with you over the next couple of days. And if you put the time and the work and the effort into it, I promise you at the end of this, you're going to get a lot out of it. And that right there for a lot of people, they'll walk up. Like I I had a, a, we worked with a group of um, all the training officers for the department of corrections in Florida. And I had almost every single one of them walk up afterwards. And they were like, dude, you walked in with a faux hawk and a beard. And I was going to be like, who the fuck is this guy? He goes, and then the first thing you said was, I know nothing about corrections and I have no intention to act like I know better than you. I'm just here to teach you what I know. And immediately I was like, I like this guy. And it's like, that's the kind of shit that if you can walk in there and just be honest, that's just honest. That's not even me flexing. That's just me being honest. I don't know shit about law enforcement outside of secondhand conversations I've had. And I try to learn as much as I can, but there's nothing like experience. And being a cop in Columbus is different than being a cop in you know, uh, Wapakoneta, totally. Ohio versus this. Totally. So it's like, I don't try to know anything. I know, I know this guys, I have this very limited amount of experience. I'm going to share this with you. I really do feel it's going to bring some benefit to you. And, and, and we'll only see 
So give me your attention. Let's put some work into this. Ask whatever questions, challenge whatever you want. Call bullshit. I love conversations. Like, let's put some work in and let's see if we can make ourselves better. And if you can meet people at that level, like, man, you can really change people's minds about the industry. Um, uh, if if, if they if they want their minds changed, and yeah. so that's another big part of this, and and I think that's where the the culture pieces are are important to talk about. And I I see a shift happening, and I see it happening from the again from coaches, which is interesting. But I and I, but going back to the law enforcement thing, there's also this this eat your you know eating your young type of thing in, in the law enforcement <laughs> yeah. community too, which is going to have to change. That's an even bigger thing. Yeah, yeah. That's that's not for we're, uh, you, me. We're never going to change that. They have to change that. But I think from like a coach's perspective, you know there are, there are coaches that are that are saying the same things. It's it's interesting. I'm sitting here kind of chuckling out loud and on the inside with you know I heard this other guy just yeah. say that and guys that are we have we've had on the show that we haven't released yet are saying effectively the same thing and part of what you're what I hear you doing is you're setting expectations but more specifically you're setting boundaries like hey yeah. like this is what we're going to talk about and this is how I'm going to talk about it and the reasons why and what I'm not going to talk about so let's not bring in this other stuff to this conversation because that's going to be unproductive right mm-hmm. so if you're telling me about your experience over here or, you know, when you did this at this department and we don't do it that way and that's why this doesn't work, that is your experience. That was your thing. That is your policy or whatever else. What does that have to do with what we're just take the concepts, take the basics, take the fundamentals that apply across and reverse engineer this thing rather than putting it yourself and being so self-absorbed with your own experience right up front? Because on the off chance that this guy that's standing in front of you might know what the fuck he's talking about. You just might learn something, yeah. right? And and so again, like I see this stuff going around, and you, I got you going there. It wasn't the intention, but it kind of was. Like I wanted to, hear, I wanted to hear that. Like it drives you nuts. I'm glad it does because I think for a lot of a lot of coaches, they they feel the same way, man. They get heated with this stuff, and they're just like, "This is so dumb." Like I, it's uh, like my 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 good friend Chris Curtis down in South Florida is like, "I'd rather slam my head in a car door ten times than get into this this this." ridiculousness that happens in the comments section on the, on the, on the internet in whatever platform you happen to be in. It's, it's, it's a total waste of time and energy. And you could be spending time, like just sending a positive message and being open-minded again, and, and, and being open to, I don't know it all. Uh, and that, that the experience that I have had, there's other experiences out there that you just may not have been exposed to. And there's, there's things to be learned by that. And so bringing it back and getting off yeah. the soapboxes. Um, you know, you, you did a really good job there, I think, of, of giving a shout out to some people that have mentored you. And I think, again, going back to what I was saying before, I think people could really benefit by reaching out for some help and they'd be really fucking surprised yeah. when they did that, how much help they would get from some of these people. You know, just like, hey, man, I'm glad you reached out. Well, let's chat. And then they will, I've done this a million times. A million might be an exaggeration, but a <laughs> lot of times... I'll just be like, I don't get it. I'm just going to try and I'll just, I'll DM this guy or I'll reach out to my buddy who might have that phone number and see if I can get a connection and, and, and say, Hey man, I got a question for you. Would you mind connecting for a call? Or I'll type it into the DM or I'll type it into the, the text messages and be like, Hey dude, you, I'm going to call you. And they'll spend like a half an hour on the phone yeah. with me going through this thing, you know, where, you know, I was just trying to get a little bit of more information and that's how much they wanted to give. And, and again, that's just my piece based on my experience. And 
You got this consumer that's looking at all this fucking ridiculousness that is happening, you know, in the in the world of social media and on the in the internet, and they're trying to find their way in and find their tribe and find make some sense of this. It yeah. can be really off putting when they see that stuff going on, and it causes distrust. And if it's causing distrust at that level, then obviously at the next level, that and the coaches being the in between level, the next level up, which is your tier one guys, your law enforcement officers, whatever else, they're going to be pretty distrusting too because. You, if you're that coach and you're sitting in the middle and you're that that uh, playing that game of telephone, you know, like so-and-so said this and so-and-so said that, but he didn't really say that. And then you're 25 comments deep and coming into this conversation. It just creates these factions in this separation. And I, so I love what you're doing and bringing yeah. it together, man, and just going, hey, I'm just going to teach you what I know. <laughs> take what you can. I'm trying to simplify this the best I can for you and taking responsibility and feeling a personal accountability to this stuff could save your life and I it's on me because I want to yeah. I want to teach you that. If you don't want it, okay. Well, yeah, and but it's I'm gonna give it to you. One of the things that like, you know, with that is it's just like, you know, if you're gonna do a job, and you know, I, I mean, gosh, I learned this from my mom. Like I said, you know, growing up, it was just she had three kids, she was raising them on her own, and it was just like there's work to do, you know. And if you're gonna do it, do it right. And it's kind of one of those mm-hmm. things like, look, man, if if my job is to come in and give them the best possible experience, then I'm going to come in and give them the best possible experience. So where am I missing that? How can I, how can I learn how to get better at that? Um, But one of the things I think is fascinating to your, to like the conversation you're having about like the comment section and things like that. And it's one of the things that like coaches create their own vicious cycles is you will attract the people that enjoy whatever it is you're doing. So if you're the one constantly out there, kind of trashing on people and and constantly propping yourself up by pushing other people down, what ends up happening is you start gathering a following of people that that's the way they look at it. And the problem with that from the person that now is the one who started that is, well, those kind of people are the people that are going to do the same thing to you. So the second that you get a slip up, now you literally have created a following of people that this is how they get ahead anyway. And then you find a lot of people that they run into huge, massive problems with that. Whereas if you you try to put out a message, and again, this is, I can only speak to my experience, but when I stopped fighting in the comment section and I started either just simply letting people talk or the, one of the things I like to do is I like to actually learn from people that are really aggressive because there's something in there, that, you know, to me, any piece of feedback, even the the meanest, deepest, most hatred, whatever piece of feedback, there's something to learn from that. And it's like, what can I learn from that? Truth and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So I generally try to ask a question or two and some people kind of, you know, they're just like, I don't know. I don't understand how you do that, but it's just like, well, I'm actually interested because I do want to get better. And maybe I am missing something. There is that element of, you know, understanding, like, again, I, I, I think not I think, I know I still need to grow and I know there is something I can learn. So if somebody has this visceral response to a three-minute video I got out there, like, what can I learn from, like, why was that triggering? So I am somebody who tries to, to pick up on that. But ever since I started simply, you know, I guess being more honest and genuine about the idea that, like, I actually feel this way. Like, I actually literally walk into some places and go, how the fuck did I end up here? Because I don't feel like I know enough to be the person in front teaching. You know what I mean? Like I, I genuinely feel this. 
And so when I started being more honest about that in the way I presented videos and how I talked to people on the internet and really just trying to connect with people, I started to attract, a, you know, again, my following is still very small, but actual genuine people. And so I don't have a lot of that drama anymore. So people will ask me that every now and again, like, how do you deal with, you know, these really deep, crazy uh, comment sections? And I usually tell people like, honestly, you know, the people that actually stick around, they see the videos, the videos aren't like, this is the way to do it. It's like, Hey guys, like, you know, here's something we drilled in class today. This is something we do in our program, you know, try it out, explore it, see if it works for you. Let me know what your thoughts are on it. There's never a point in time where I'm flexing on anybody because I honestly don't know. It's just like, Hey, in my experience, it works, but it starts to attract a a group of people that are like, Oh, they're exploratory. They're open-minded. They're playful with the way they train. They want to learn. You know, I post a ton of stuff on my personal page, you know, about personal development and breath work and ice baths and, uh, you know, understanding communication and language, mainly because it's the stuff that was most important to me and I needed. Like, I was bad at it, man. I was a spite-driven, angry, pissed-off, you know, uh, uh, kid in my 20s. Mm -hmm. And I'm a father now. I'm a father. I have an incredible wife. I have two kids. I have a business. I'm responsible for other humans that I pay And it's like, man, you got to get your shit together. Like you got to be able to manage your emotions and you have to have good communication and good language. And I want to be here, you know, when I have grandkids and I want to be able to run around with those dudes. So it's like, take your ice baths and focus on your stress. And so I do a lot of that type stuff. So I would say 80% of my personal page is more of like this personal development in relationship to fighting. And so I'm not getting a ton. I'm attracting people that are still interested in that. And it's been super helpful. And then when I don't, like we had one video on the KCC page that went viral. I still don't know why. I don't understand (laughs) social media. Isn't that that weird? Yeah. Yeah. It got like 3.8 million views and like we went up 20,000 subscribers. And I was like, what the hell? Like, where the hell did this come from? It was one of those videos that I was like, fuck, it's the end of the day. I haven't posted anything. I don't have any content to post. Uh, uh, Whatever. I'll just post this video real quick. And it was like, boop, 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 boop. And that, that one, yeah. oh my God, we had a couple thousand comments on that one. And that's when I started, I don't know if you saw my internet defense comments, little plugs that I would do, but yeah, uh, yeah so I, that's how I answered internet defense comments was like, let's have an actual conversation. Listen, it's a good question. I get where you're coming from. This is our side of it. It's a good question. This is where I'm coming yeah. from. It's, this is our side of it. And every single one of those ended with just train. I don't care. Just go train. Like yeah. as long as you're training, <laughs> I don't know what the fuck That's I'm talking deep. about. Like this is my experience. Just go train. Have some fun with it. Uh, I, so so attract, I so appreciate that. Yeah. Well, it's just, you attract the people that you pre- present out to it. You know what I mean? And, and you surround yourself with those people. And, you know, thankfully, and I, you can tell, man, because if you look back at my page early, and again, this is like, you know, 10 years ago, eight or 10 years ago, I was attracting the exact people. And I I had a little bit of an ego and I was young and I was super athletic and I looked Mm -hmm. real fucking good on video and I got away with flashy stuff. Um, And then, you know, you, you mature as a coach and you get through those phases and you start to realize, you know, I think it's that the old analogy, the more, you know, the more you realize you don't know. And, and you, you know, most of us, I at least hopefully start to kind of mellow out and realize like, wow, this is a real long journey. And, you know, maybe I shouldn't have that. And it's, you can just, you can tell the the people that, you know, we attract are the people that are interested in learning a little more open. And I'd rather have 3000 people that want to learn and be open-minded than 200,000 any day that are really just trying to get into it. Cause you know, we actually want to connect with people. So 
Anyway, that was, I don't even hey, know how so, the hell we started on that one. <laughs> no, it's great, man. I mean, I got you going there and part of that was intentional and part of it wasn't. I just kind of wanted to see kind of what your take is on it. I honestly, I got exactly what I thought I would get from you, but I'm taking, I'm going to take this back to the beginning real quick. And sure. What you said was, um, before we, before we wrap this up, what you said was, you know, in BJJ, you're a brown belt that's way more closer to being, way closer to being a black belt than you're comfortable with. And here's my, here's my take on that. What, what I just heard you say there, what you just said was spoken like a true black belt. That is, yeah. that is, you don't know what you don't know. And the further you get in this journey, the more you realize what you don't know. And, you know, I said this before too, it's like, I'm not an expert in anything. What I'm an expert in is that I know I'm not an expert in shit. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's being open to that idea and wanting to know more. Never, I'm not, a, I'm not trying to achieve expert level on anything because I understand that that is never going to happen. Yeah. Um, maybe that happens in something like, I don't know, fucking computer coding or... <laughs> Uh, I, I, I use that one because I live in the Silicon Valley. I don't know if that even, that even such thing exists, you know, grandmaster <laughs> computer coder. Um, but I don't fucking care because to me that sounds, number one, it's boring. It doesn't sound fulfilling and I don't feel like I'm contributing anything with any of that. And sorry to the computer coders out there if that, that, that's offensive. It's just like, what am I giving back or what can I contribute down the line that helps somebody's life be better? And maybe being a computer coder and, you know, you can make a bunch of money doing that and that helps you do things, you know, uh, in, in, in your society or sorry, in your, in your community or whatever. I don't know. That's maybe a horrible I, dude, I, example. I, you, the second you said computer coder and master, I don't know why, but I went straight back to like Chris Hemsworth and <laughs> Black Hat where he was like the hacker. Yeah. The whole thing. That's where yeah. I was just at, like, you know, like the battle yeah. of the brains of, of, co- why, right. yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and this is how like this is how much I don't prison, know right? about coding. Is hacking coding? Is it the same thing? Like I have no idea. <laughs> I'll stick yeah. to fighting humans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like this is what I've tended to be good at, or what I've gravitated towards, which I think a lot of people do. And whether that's coding or knife control or uh, sorry, Krav Maga, like it is what it is. Um, yeah. But uh, look, man, you know, as we're as we're wrapping up here. You you mentioned a couple of things that kind of the direction you've gone with your social media, and I want to bring that to everybody's attention if they don't know you. Uh, first off, that that you you provide so much free content, like good valuable content, you know, out there for people to 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 see, to take in, to contemplate, to yeah. comment on, and get commented back to, uh, to compare and contrast. I think it's all super valuable stuff. I love what you're doing there because it's simply you're not trying to be anything that you're not. Uh, which I really appreciate. Um, it's not, Thanks. you know, it's not flashy. Uh, you know what I mean by that is it's not the highlight reel. It's just some really basic stuff that's taking, taken in real life in real time uh, from things that you've experienced or things that you see your students experiencing or, you know, uh, maybe some context from things that are happening out there like a viral video or whatever else. Just, you know, that people can kind of wrap their heads around and you're giving them I guess water in the trough to drink from if they choose to drink from it, but you're not forcing them to do it. You know, you're not holding their head underwater or telling them if they don't, you know, drink that water or more specifically, I guess the Kool-Aid that they're, you know, they're less than, yeah, Yeah, they're less than. So, uh, and I love, I, you know, I really love the way you compared and contrasted all the different martial arts that you're into, the reasons why, and you know, the, the pros versus cons, the defenses versus offenses, um, uh, across all of them. I think it was super insightful. Uh, it was actually really refreshing. And I think most people can probably relate to that. And I hope for those 
that you know have are dying on one martial art, whatever that is. You know, whether it's Krav Maga or BJJ or uh, Samba, whatever it is, man, that that they 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 think maybe can think a little bit differently based on this conversation yeah. if they're listening to it and paying attention. So, uh, as we're just kind of finishing up here, um, where should people go if they want to find out more about you? If they want to take a class? If they want to get involved sure. with what you're doing or work with some of the people that you're working with? How do we how do we get in touch with you, dude? Yeah, man. Um, which honestly, I I appreciate everything you said there. First and foremost, that's it's 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 that stuff is so important. I mean, this journey, being in self-defense, finding self-defense, I mean, it was life-changing for me. I mean, genuinely life-changing for me. So, uh, you know, being able to share that journey with people and hopefully having a couple of, not even hopefully, like I know for a fact that I've, I've been able to to do that for other people, which is amazing. So it's, it's really, I really appreciate you noticing that and, and putting it out there. So thank you for that. Um, you're welcome. Mostly I float on the Instagrams. Um, I, most of my Instagram is pushes to Facebook. I try to avoid Facebook like the plague. To be honest, I would, I don't really want to be on any of the socials, but, Same. Uh, but then I wouldn't meet Same. cool people like you, right? Uh, exactly. Yep. Yeah. It's networking, which we talked about earlier. Uh, but anyway, so mm-hmm. my, my personal account, uh, is, um, on Instagram is at Janetti Aaron. So that's just my name backwards. Um, J-A-N-N-E-T-T-I-A-R-O-N. And then you can catch up and keep up with all of the knife control concept stuff at, at knife control concepts. Um, that's on IG as well. Um, and then all of the courses that we run, everything we just keep in, you know, a tap link or most people know it as like a link tree, um, on the IG. So like, all of our courses are listed on there. The online courses are coming, you know, our travel calendar. Um, I've even got some, like there's a link to the book on there. Um, there's a, like a language and communication program that, that I took. I don't even get anything for it, but I put on there because it was super impactful for me. So we keep everything on nice. that link tree. Um, and that's all just right on our, our IG. So for the most part, if you're following us on Instagram, um, you should be up to date on anything we've got. Uh, if you want to join the newsletter, uh, there's a newsletter in that link as well. And then I just by like, we try to be as easy about the newsletter. It's like my personal one. Usually it's one of the Instagram posts from the week. It's got the calendar of upcoming KCC courses. And then any of our YouTube videos that comes out on Thursdays. Um, people can sign up for that if they want to. Um, and then if you're ever in Columbus, people are welcome to stop into Endeavor Defense and Fitness. We're on the West side of, uh, Columbus. Again, we do BJJ, Krav Maga, kickboxing, CrossFit, the whole nine. Um, anybody that's a listener of, uh, Iron Sights, just let us know and we'll bring you in. It's totally free. We don't charge anybody to drop in and train. Um, we host a ton of seminars. We just had Craig in, uh, last weekend. I got Rob Mago coming out to do the officer survival series for law enforcement in nice. April. We've got blackout grappling coming out in February. I got, uh, we have our KCC training camp in July. I've got Ryan Hoover coming out in October. So we host a ton of seminars, um, here to train. And then if you want to catch KCC, uh, I don't know when this is going to air, but we're this year so far, we're already going to, uh, we're already booked in, uh, Connecticut, Northeastern Ohio, Central Ohio, Hawaii, Utah, Maryland, uh, Georgia, Kentucky. And then we have to be, uh, to be announced with, uh, Texas, Texas, Florida. And, uh, I got a guy in California that's asking, but I don't know if he'll, uh, if we'll be able to follow through or not. And then Oregon. You can come here. If you so, want to, you want to come to yeah. NoCal, man. You can use Red Dot Fitness all you want, man. You're welcome. Sweet. We'll talk. Anytime. Cause that would be awesome. I have a ton of people <laughs> in California that, that want us to come out, but we haven't had a chance to, to find anybody to actually host it. So 
But uh, yeah, man, we'll we'll check it out. But anyway, we'd love to have anybody um, out for training. Again, it's myself, it's Eli Knight and Mike Cheney. So definitely go check them out. Um, Mike Cheney is at Boom Boom Cheney and then Eli is at Knight Jiu Jitsu. Uh, But we float mostly on Instagram. That's the best place to find us. I love it, man. You guys are super organized. Like I said, I mean, you're already talking about the calendar for the year, how busy you are. I love the fact that you're bringing in other people that do similar but different stuff for similar but different audiences. I mean, that just... I mean, right there, that that just kind of is the 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 umbrella statement over everything that you've been talking about today. So refreshing, man. So good to have you on. Um, like I said, when I when we jumped on, I said, I don't know where this conversation is gonna go because I don't know a ton about you. Um, this was way more than I expected. So I oh, that's cool, I, I know you're a busy dude. You've just articulated all that, all the things you have going on in life and in business. And uh I can't thank you enough for uh for being here, man. Uh, dude, it's, it's honestly, it's been an, it's been an honor and this was such a cool conversation. It was, it was, it was all the things I like talking about, you know, like growth and mentorship and training and, and internet <laughs> and awesomeness, but I appreciate it, man. It's a ton of fun. Uh, I don't know. We'll do it again sometime, but hopefully we can actually connect in person one day, train a little bit and, and do some uh, stuff. I love that, man. That's the next step for sure. Talk to you soon. Totally brother. Well, thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Iron Sights. If you enjoyed our conversation, you can support our mission by hitting the subscribe button, leaving a review, and sharing the podcast with a friend. I'll see you on the next episode.